Today on Coco Disaster, I am the very model of a modern major Kusanagi. Hi, and welcome to Coco Disaster. Today, I have two very special guests with me. I'm Future Friends, and I love robots. Can't get enough of them. Hi, I'm the J of Spade, and somebody put that ghost back in its shell. <laughs> oh boy, you probably spent like three hours thinking of that. <laughs> no, it's all improv, baby. Oh yes, and. <laughs> and welcome to a very special episode. Today, we're going to do a little something different with the single-serving format. Instead of just focusing on one series and sort of like taking a deep dive into it, what I wanted to do is I wanted to take probably one of the most high-profile Hollywood anime releases with Ghost in the Shell 2017 and compare it to the original movie that it takes so much inspiration from and sort of do a compare-contrast on the themes, the stylings, and the way that sort of these these two stories kind of intersect and diverge, and maybe try to figure out what exactly it is about the new one that causes so much ire. Because I feel like, in a lot of cases, the, the criticism I've seen is just like, oh, well, it's different from the original, and, you know, they don't they don't follow up on these sorts of things. And I just wanted to take maybe a different sort of critical eye to it and really try to go in depth with that sort of thing. Especially since I have no nostalgia for Ghost in the Shell, and I watched it uh, precisely so that I could do this episode. Uh, same here? Uh, yeah. Yeah, so all of us are um, well-equipped to talk about this. Oh yeah, we're like I w- experts. I watched the um, Cowboy Bebop movie once, and I thought, this <laughs> seems like Ghost in, the Sh- Ghost in the Shell, even though I had never seen it. Uh, <laughs> Classic. I could not get through either of the Ghost in the Shell movies sober. <laughs> so, uh, I was thinking of a few tall glass of water myself. So, yeah, but I think the, the idea here is just to be able to, to kind of talk about it with a, a different sort of lens to it, and maybe maybe uh, get to the bottom of these two movies. Mm-hmm. You said that like it was a joke. Yeah. No. And oh, I don't okay. think getting to the bottom of these movies is a joke, because, you know, we're like scientists here. We're professors. <laughs> we're gonna take this under a loop. Oh, wait, but if you say it like, get to the bot... Um, oh, because hmm. they're robots. But yeah, we're anime anthropologists, and we're here to really deep dive into these these movies. Yeah, uh, I'm an a- anime archi- archaeologist, um, <laughs> and this Ghost in the Shell belongs in a museum. Yeah. Uh, before we begin, I want to say one thing about both of these movies. 
both classics of cinema. They're good in every way. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Goodbye. Hey, 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 get back here. No, but I think it's interesting because I think it takes a, a lot of themes, you know, there there are a lot of very similar themes between the two, but they take them in f- sort of radically different ways. So I want to explore something a little more on that that critical side of of looking at the these movies. So, to start off, a little bit of background information on each of them. So, Ghost in the Shell is based on a manga by an infamous author by the name of Masamune Shirao. An infamous sex pervert. Who also created Appleseed and Dominion, and on the side does a lot of weird sex pervert things. Yeah, that. You heard about that guy? I heard they found him jerking off to pornography once. What a freak. What the- Oh wait, where'd they find him doing it at? His house. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, he left his door open. He sleeps there. Yeah. And this is definitely on the more serious side of his work. Like it seems like he's legitimately trying to make something worthwhile. <laughs> I mean Damn, uh, shots fired. I... But what I mean is like you 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 definitely have like more of um Masamune Shiro's ideas as of late. Like he came up with the idea for this um what is it? It's it's like Pandora in the Shell Ghost Urn, which is like this this series that came out recently that is like kind of like Ghost in the Shell but weird and like pervy. So like the idea that this is like a step back, this is definitely like putting you know, story and putting like themes before his weird fetishes. Mm-hmm. Man, if that's pervy ghosts in the shell, then it's just like <laughs> thirty shots Ooh, of boobs, but they're really perky. It's wow. cold outside. I think the plot is based around like someone's dick pics causing the end of the world or something. No, so it's uh, America in 2017. <laughs> Yeah. I said that, like, looking at the microphone like it was a camera. <laughs> <laughs> looking at the microphone like it was the precedence of all we hate. No. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, for the, thanks for the stage directions. Um, so, not, not so subtle, the title is a reference to the Ghost in the Machine, which uh, Masamune Shirao took a, a, a bit of inspiration from. But as far as the movie in particular, it's animated by Production IG, which has gone on to sort of make a lot of Ghost in the Shell media as we go forward and a lot of other um, anime that are well regarded for their, if nothing else, for like their technical prowess, their um, their visuals, and their production, which is unlike a lot of other ones because usually people aren't just dying to finish things and they're not like, you know, oh, wow. they're not having as much trouble. Yeah, it's weird. They're wow. usually a- ahead of schedule. <laughs> So this was directed by uh, Mamoru Oshii, who is a director uh, pretty well regarded for um, taking sort of like headier stories and and putting them to to film, like Angel's Egg, which came out before this, as well as Pat Labor, which is kind of similar to Ghost in the Shell in that it's sort of like you know this this uh, this kind of police procedural sort of thing, right? With robots, right? And his work. Um, ultimately has inspired um, Western directors like the Wachowskis and James Cameron 
And there are stories out that like the Wachowskis, specifically when pitching The Matrix, would use like scenes from Ghost in the Shell and just be like, that's what we want right there. I mean, uh, that's kind of sick. I think you can see that. Like it's it's one of those things I think you can very clearly yeah, see I as mean, their yeah, inspiration. I think yeah, that makes no, a lot of sense. And that's also the kind of thing about the Wachowskis. Like, uh, their best work is usually just, oh, we watch this anime and are basically adapting it. Right, like this and Speed Racer. Right, yeah. this explains the Animatrix so clearly. <laughs> and um, this this movie for Mamoru Oshii was specifically based around his interests in technology and the way that it was affecting Japanese culture in the 90s and sort of the way that that's been developing throughout. In fact, um, when they started making um, the second Ghost in the Shell movie, they, they made an update of Ghost in the Shell called Ghost in the Shell 2.0, which is supposed to sort of, like, change some of the the uh, story elements and stuff to be more in line with sort of the tone he was going for and the thematics that he was going for with Ghost in the Shell as he uh, continued to work with the series. So, wait, is it a sequel or is it just a remake of the original? There's a sequel and a remake. Okay. Is the remake yeah. 2.0, though? Yes. That's confusing. Shouldn't the sequel be 2.0? And the... No, that's Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence, and there's Ghost in the Shell 2.0, which is the remake of the original. Oh, well, it, it, if it's a remake, then it should just be a patch, <laughs> you know? Like, it's uh, it's 1.75. Yeah. Like, we changed like... a lot of stuff up. Uh, we took out the microtransactions. Uh, no more loot boxes for... Uh, for um, cutscenes, you know. They should have retroactively named the first Ghost in the Shell Ghost in the Shell Early Access. <laughs> um, then within the series, we have music by Kenji Kwai, who's done work for Pat Labor, um, the original Ring movies, and has even continued into like modern anime with work on things like Mob Psycho 100. And in particular, there's been, uh, with at least the, the theme of the original Ghost in the Shell, there was a focus on sort of building this this um, this haunting melody. And he talks about how much work he put into that using, like, it's, it's part like a Japanese wedding song with all these different, like, world harmonies and structures that he's put together to create sort of this, this unsettling song. Which uh, maybe doesn't match with the um, the English dub exclusive song, which is the ending theme done by U2 and Brian Eno, which is... Oh, I think I actually uh, stopped before I got to this song. That's a real <laughs> oh, no. shame. Yeah, you didn't I... listen through to the credits for the U2 song? <sighs> listen, uh, that, I, I, I didn't hear because like, I pretty much dived into bed after watching it to like be able to get up for this podcast. Oh my god, I can't believe you guys didn't get to listen to Passenger. <laughs> oh man. Okay. For me, that's gonna be like a, a big problem, and I don't think I want to listen to it. Because I love Brian Eno, but I don't like you two. <laughs> this is probably for the best, then. Um, so it's like um, Ghost in the Shell, Turn Off the Dark, where uh, like they keep injuring the main actress. It's terrible. So, so the original movie wanted to go for a very different tone than the original Ghost in the Shell, which is a lot more comedic, sort of buddy cop sort of thing. So the movie 
um, works to mature Makoto's design and her character, sort of to to juxtapose that against the darker world that they're trying to develop as well. The, the setting is primarily based around Hong Kong for the way that the city sort of blends old and new development, sort of like it's a it's a very claustrophobic sort of uh, environment. You know, it's chaotic, it's it's crowded, and that's that's sort of part of the uh, the appeal of using that area for them. Um, the original Ghost in the Shell is also well known for its visual aspects, where it's using at the time, very innovative animation techniques to supplement the film, all these different CGI techniques and um, programs enable for, in order to integrate sort of 3D um, effects with 2D animation. And I must say, for a movie made in 95, like, you barely notice that they use CGI. Yeah, like, oh, I was just gonna say that it is, like, like not even really all that noticeable. I was really impressed to like learn that. Oh wow, this this really revolutionized some CG stuff. Yeah, because I mean, you get that with like the effects and stuff. Like when um when the major uses the um like the the camouflage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, like it's a lot of two D animation, and it's all really well done. Like it holds up incredibly well. Um, just a couple other things. The, the, the focus of the movie was going to be on realism. Um, a lot of people on the staff talked about making sure that all of the movements were natural human movements and that all of the gun effects were accurate, you know. Right. I, I think, like, especially with, like, the guns and the fight scenes and such, it does feel, like, very natural. I don't know. I feel like some scenes feel very unnatural, like, when the two men are talking and they're both not facing the camera so they don't really have to animate the mouths <laughs> sure <laughs> but then um you know ultimately ghost in the shell is a beloved film and a, a like a piece of animation that's critically acclaimed you know people like it because it's garnered this reputation it's got this you know it's got a lot of stuff going for it mm-hmm. so then we fast forward to 2008, where rights for a Hollywood production of Ghost in the Shell is bought out by DreamWorks and uh, Steven Spielberg. They ended up getting it because Steven Spielberg appealed to like, oh, Ghost in the Shell is one of my favorite stories. I would love to do a movie about it, you know? <laughs> yeah. But this is also the guy who uh, made 1941, so maybe he doesn't have the best <laughs> opinions. Oof. <laughs> and uh, so... Eventually, uh, the work finally starts happening for this Ghost in the Shell movie, and Spielberg's not on it. Uh, instead, we have Rupert Sanders as director, whose only other movie that he's credited in is uh, Snow White and the Huntsman. Is that the only one he directed, or just, like, the only one that... that that's the only credit I could find for him. Oh, wow. <laughs> other than this. And the, the film got a really poor first reception as casting... Uh, roles started to come out and you saw a lot of white um, actors and actresses joining the crew particularly Scarlett Johansson as the major Mm -hmm. and you know uh, a lot of um, things came out after this sort of like as damage control Scarlett Johansson does a an interview where she says that she would never portray a character of another race that's not what she's about you know uh, the producer behind it um, or one of the producers behind this Stephen Paul makes this comment about the controversy that he doesn't see 
the original story is just Japanese. He sees it as international, and the idea is to cast a lot of different people of different races for the sake of the story uh, in order to produce something unique and different. Oh boy, I bet that pissed beat Takeshi off. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Mamoru Oshii and Masamune Shiro both made statements showing their approval of how the casting was going in the direction of the movie, with Oshi specifically um, saying that I think there's no doubt that Ghost in the Shell will become the most gorgeous work made in the franchise yet. That this movie was going to be the big thing. And was very um, impressed by Scarlett Johansson and her performance. Really? Well, well, maybe the dub comes off better. (laughs) So, you know, a a lot of comments made to sort of try to re-interest people and specifically they also talk about how um, Scarlett Johansson is not playing Motoko Kusanagi who is the original major playing a different character and it's Mary Killingham I believe is the name oh, she's killing him all right <laughs> yeah she's killing the <laughs> system yeah Mira Killian sorry there it is Mira Killian <laughs> Which sounds almost like if you went to the flea market and you bought, like, off-brand um, Ghost in the Shell <laughs> merchandise. Right, this is Mary Killian, but... Because they have the same, um... They have the same, uh, initials, so, you know. Yeah. In order to do this whole universal world thing that they're they're doing with the setting, predominantly the film is, uh, is shot in New Zealand with a little bit of, uh, the Hong Kong... Um, influence still showing up. They did do a couple scenes there. And like the original movie, Ghost in the Shell 2017, is this idea that they want to create their own story set within um, Shirao's world, pulling not only elements from the original movie, but also Standalone Complex, the TV series, maybe some from the manga, and like trying to do their own spin on how they perceive this story and this world. So, you know, they're, they're, they're doing fan service for the fans by having all of these important scenes still show up, but they're trying to do something else with it. They're trying to tell a different story. Right. It's, it's a different story with just the same scenes. They basically did um, an anime bridge series uh, <laughs> of the movie. So, okay. And just like an anime bridge series, it wasn't funny. No. Oh. And- and ultimately, it underperformed on a worldwide scale, panned across the, you know, just across the board for missing the mark thematically and sort of, you know, feeling like it, it's a very empty world. But, I mean, it did all right in China. I mean, I feel like that's the story with a lot of big budget movies. Well, that ultimately fail is that, oh yeah, well, he did well in China. Yeah. Like, I feel like Transformers is like that. Yeah, here's yeah. the thing about the Chinese market, though. Um, if you just say China is good in a movie or like set a movie in China or filmed in China, the Chinese audiences will love it. They'll go to see it en masse. Like, it's this weird thing where you mentioned the Transformers movies and uh, like Transformers 4 had this huge part in China and because of that, it like did insanely well and Transformers 5 had no China, did way less well in China. (laughs) (laughs) They went to uh, Arthurian times, but they were like, wait, but let's stop by China first. (laughs) Let's stop by the Panda Express. That Confucius guy sounds like he's got a lot of good ideas we should listen to. (laughs) And then the one other like 
really notable thing about the new movie is that I believe the entire Section 9 team from the original movie reprise their roles for the dub. Wow. Something I don't give a shit about. Wow. <laughs> hey, shut I mean, the fuck up. That's <laughs> cute. That's a cute thing to do. Wait, do they dub over beat Takeshi? Because he is talking in Japanese the whole time. No, uh, they actually, <laughs> like, inserted him into the original movie. It's oh, just okay. a JPEG <laughs> of Pete Takeshi. <laughs> I don't think they, uh, they dub over Beat Takeshi. <laughs> you never dub over Beat Takeshi. <laughs> That'd be kind of funny, but no. <laughs> they dub over someone else speaking Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> no, they dub over Beat Takeshi, but now he's talking in English. <laughs> um, there was like the uh, like American version of Beat Takeshi, like Mel Gibson. They get Mel Gibson to just speak English <laughs> for Beat Takeshi. <laughs> oh yeah, and then they put in the subtitles in Japanese on the the screen, yeah, like they yeah. do for the English. Oh, that'd be really good. <laughs> but it's like literally over the English characters, so it's impossible <laughs> right. to read. Right, it's like a terrible fan sub. <laughs> Or like Netflix, it just says speaking English. So, let's start off with a very basic plot outline, since the stories, for the most part, at least have the same general structure. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a focus on um, somewhere in the near future, uh, where humans are now able to be augmented with cybernetic enhancements, and uh, there are also, like, full cybernetic bodies available that people can have their minds placed into. Right. The the titular shell for the ghost, which is how they refer to the mind or the soul. And the movies primarily focus on a group called Section 9, which is this um, anti-terrorist bureau of the, of the police... And sort of their work in dealing with this um, this hacker that's been going around this area. I believe in the original they call him the the puppet master, and the the new one it's uh, Kuze. Weird that they Japaned up that name. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. Does Kuze mean like shadow or something? No, it's what you put your drinks in to keep them cold. Oh, <laughs> you so much. <laughs> But um yeah it's it's weird that the the name change went through like that but yeah so it's it's about section 9's investigation into this hacker trying to figure out what is going on and ultimately it opens up into kind of a bigger conspiracy and a lot of sort of the the smaller details within that and eventually the the actual ending of the movie are where they they diverge pretty significantly in how they portray these characters and the the setting and the ultimately like the the themes, and I wanted to talk about that a little bit going forward. So um, with the setting, we see two very different sort of um, looks into the world. With the original, it's a lot bleaker, a lot darker. It's sort of just kind of like um, big corporate buildings everywhere. It's just huge skyscrapers. And sort of like it's it's supposed to be suffocating in that it's sort of like dark, it's sort of cold, it's very um like inorganic in a way. 
-hmm. Whereas when you look at the new one, things are a lot brighter overall. You know, they, they have these huge holograms outside of every building that's sort of like advertising whatever they're doing. I was surprised that they didn't have like a lot of actual brands. Um, it seems like the only brand to survive until 2020X or whatever is uh, Honda. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like kind of the contrast between those in general is also due to the passage of time where in the 90s we very much thought not much of like uh, corporations really trying to do like a lot of PR shit and such so mm-hmm. like the cities would just kind of be like all this grey like dilapidated shit and that was kind of it whereas nowadays uh, advertisement is king and advertisement will literally be everywhere Right. Uh, it's going to be nothing but like tweets and you can actually talk to the billboards <laughs> yeah. and they'll make fun of the other billboards. It's going to be yeah. lit. <laughs> and that's what they say. Like, Arby's is going to like make a figurine of like the newest terrorist leader and all the nerds <laughs> are going to be like, wow, this is so cool. I love you, Arby's. And then you eat it. It's uh, awesome. Uh, I love I the future. Like, wow. You know, it's funny you bring that up, because I didn't think about that particular aspect of how times have changed, but you're right. It is a lot more sort of like, they're they're really heavy on advertisement and flashy things to get people interested in the product. Mm-hmm. Because you have all these people, all these like holograms dancing and stuff and looking around and stuff. It is very much more sort of the way that like, you know, corporate Twitter accounts right now, like try to start beef with each other and stuff. It. it <laughs> It is really weird how that's how that's changed. Scene by scene, we're gonna realize that Ghost of the Shell 2017 is a masterpiece. Yeah, I I, I can't believe Coco Disaster is gonna have beef with a Crunchyroll Twitter account. <laughs> no, I just look. I start beef on the podcast. Thank you. Right, but no, I, 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 that is an interesting uh, look at the way that the setting changes because I think that is true. It it does, I think, make the transition to their, like, interpretation of Hong Kong a little weirder, because it feels like this isn't the same sort of, like, lower economy area that the new, like, Ghost in the Shell world would have in comparison to something more like um, the original, where the original is just sort of like, well, yeah, we just kept building and building and we neglected these sorts of things. It feels weird that the new one doesn't have anything modern within this the the Hong Kong scenes. Right. And like you don't even really see any people in that scene whereas in the uh, the original like it's like you go to like this crowded bazaar and it's just all these like like not people do, not doing super well and it's just like caught in the middle of this terrible like terrorist attack and it's I don't know. I don't know. It feels it feels a little more lifeless with all that. Yeah. I felt like it feels like these two things are at odds with each other because there's just no sense of like um a, a connected world between those two things, yeah. I think. And also like it feels like the most f- fetishy portrayal of Japan, but like <laughs> like not actually like something that the person fetishizes, just what they think other people fetishize about Japan. Mm-hmm. Like, they like geishas, right? People like geishas, <laughs> I think. Yeah, it's really weird. 
it's really weird that they're like, oh, this is an international story. And literally, like, the first thing we see are, like, four geisha robots. I mean, listen, it could be worse. They could think those geishas were prostitutes. Well, when they jack into the memory, it does look like they're not taking great care of the geishas. Which is crazy, because who would want to fuck that thing? It looks like an evil robot. <laughs> hey, hey, don't, don't shame the future. Okay. You okay. might be there one day, balls deep into a robot, and you'll be thinking of this and seeing how much you regret it, because you're I'll in that robot. I'll shake my head with a chuckle. Uh, it was <laughs> different times, uh, robots on. And then the robot kills you, <laughs> because, oh. the cyber, because that's what you're into nowadays. Oh, no. Being fucked to death by a robot. God, this is gonna, this is all gonna come back in years. It's gonna explain <laughs> so much. Yeah, the cyberpunk future is disgusting. I mean, I would, I really wasn't sure if it was in Japan because sometimes characters are are Japanese, but then like you've got this international ragtag team of terrorist hunters. But don't they all have Japanese names? Like, I feel like a lot of them do. Um, I mean, to be honest, like, Hong Kong is always a very, like, international thing. There's a lot of, like, ethnicities around there. Uh, okay. Like, nowadays. That's just, in general, a thing you often have with, like, kind of, like, port cities like that. Like, Amsterdam, for example, is also kind of like a port city. And I think it's, like, the city with the most ethnicities in general. Hmm. Of course, also doesn't help that Bitakeshi refuses to speak English in this movie. He just always talks is true. in Japanese. And everybody speaks English to him. So, like, yes. he understands it, I guess. He understands right, I, it, and, like... He's just an asshole. <laughs> I believe we're supposed to believe that's, like, a cybernetics thing where, you know, it's a universal world. Everyone can just understand each other. But probably it's because Bitakeshi can't be asked to... Uh, like, learn English at all. Like, at a certain point, why have beat Takeshi in this movie, except he's probably the most, like, American-recognizable Japanese actor, I guess? And they get to go, well, we have a Japanese actor in our cast. Like, doesn't beat Takeshi, like, speak English in Johnny Mnemonic, though? Does he? Maybe. I don't Weird. remember. I've never seen it. I just know he's in it. Right. Okay, but what if we had watched Johnny Mnemonic and uh, discussed its similarities to Ghost in the Shell? <laughs> and then discussed the Johnny Mnemonic fan manga. Oh, and <laughs> well, we should play the FMV game. <laughs> That's the next episode of Chaco Disaster. We watch the movie, we play the pinball machine, and then we play the FMV game and we discuss the similarities of <laughs> oh, Johnny Mnemonic. Yeah. The pinball machine is going to take up two hours of the podcast only because of me. Right, because you have to discuss the themes of the pinball yeah. machine. Okay, it's so let me explain deep. the rule set to you. Uh, do you have half an hour? <laughs> so, the story <laughs> is also a huge divergent point for Ghost in the Shell. Um, because you have sort of like, almost like cut and dry sort of story with the original, you know? Where we're made aware of the existence of this hacker and everything sort of goes towards the... Um, the discovery of who it is, and the climax belongs to that as well. Sort of like everything surrounds just this hacker. But with the the new movie, it's like, oh, well, there's this hacker, but there's also this distinctly different, like, corrupt business thing going on in the background. 
sort of like this like this conspiracy sort of thing that attaches to it. Well, I mean, there's a bit of like the corruption in the original, but it's more of just like your standard corporate corruption. Right, like we built this hacker in secret in order to do these things that maybe go against the law, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one, it's like, well, this hacker is actually a person who was, you know, who was like an experiment for um for this company because they're trying to build the the perfect like cybernetic body. Like that's another thing is um while it seems like in the original Ghost in the Shell, like the whole point is that um like it's common practice to have people insert their um, minds into a cybernetic body mm-hmm. it becomes um like in this movie like the major is supposed to be like the first one basically and the 2017 version so yeah it's like one of those things where like the 2017 is like this is supposed to be like this are sort of the first cybernetic body that they've completed successfully yeah but there are like robots there are like robot ass robots but right they also just look like people like, people can remove their fucking eyes and shit and just, like, turn out to have, like, inside goggles. And right. they can remove their faces. And Right, they have a the like, USB port inside their eyeball, which seems like not a great place to have it. Yeah, like, maybe do it with, like, a nipple or something, you know? Like, thing you don't really need. But, right. Um, I replaced my nipples with HDMI years ago. Wow. <laughs> Look at 4K... J here. <laughs> Please, it's 4J. But anyway, that's not my point. Uh, my point is, it doesn't. It seems like a bit of a stretch that this is like the first of its kind to be a cybernetic shell, considering like how advanced cybernetics already are in the. Yeah, but movie. I feel like I think they like sort of hand wave it away with like, oh, their brains don't sync up to the bodies or whatever. It's like, oh, that's hard. Oh, so it's like a, it's like a Shadowrun essence thing, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that changes the 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 theme of sort of like you know, kind of like the the feeling like you're just a cognitive system versus like an isolation thing between right. the two different majors. Right, you're just a cognitive system, a ghost in a shell. Oh my god! But yeah, it it definitely changes that that idea of the story because it deals a lot more with. The fact that um, uh, the major in the new movie feels isolated from the West of the world and feels sort of like out of touch with everyone because she can't have the same experiences as everyone else. And she is like- In some cases, literally out of touch because she can't feel things. Yeah, she's like my grandpa. <laughs> and so it's like, oh, you know, there's this- So with the new movie, it's like, oh, there's this whole conspiracy where it's like the, this, this company um, has been trying to build the cybernetic body. And is like has been kidnapping runaway children mm-hmm. <laughs> to uh, to be able to do that, and it's <laughs> so it, it's like it goes deeper and is definitely more, um, I guess Hollywood in that way. In that you know it always has to lead to something kind of bigger for the climax, whereas there really isn't that sort of thing in Ghost in the Shell. It's just like oh well, this hacker is actually an AI that someone built, like. That's as far as it wants to go, and then it's like, oh, well, we have to deal with that. And then, uh, we talked about it a little bit with this, but, like, the characters are very different. Um, we have Mira uh, Killian, who is a, a young girl who has been sort of, like, forced into this cybernetic body. Right. Uh, has no memories of um, her life, like, pre-implant. 
So it's, it's a lot more about her isolation, her uncomfortability with the world than it is sort of like, uh, the original major, uh, Motoko Kusanagi sort of just thinking about what life is in this situation and how, like, you know, at any point, if she just doesn't want to do this, um, this like cop thing anymore, they're going to take back her body because, you know, it belongs to the police station. Right. And her existence ends sort of like, they're like, uh, give me your gun and your badge. And your arm, and your leg, and you, uh, I'll, I'll just give you the rest. <laughs> it's this existential idea versus, uh, I think, a more human, more relatable sort of thing with Mira. Right. With the way that they're trying to portray this. And so, like, Mira also is, like, I think more human of a character mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, because, like, she gets her ass kicked a lot, and she's, like, in peril a lot more, and she has all of these other, like, issues, whereas... Um, at the point where the movie is like, Matoko is just like cold, methodical sort of character, like no nonsense. And she's very good at what she like, does. Hyper competent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel Matoko is more made to be more innately kind of like inhuman feeling in general. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Like the point is that it's, it's the conflict between the humanity and the, the, the human side and the, the cyborg side of her. Mm-hmm. And then like, you see it otherwise in the characterizations, like, you have Bato, who's, like, trying to be a little more jokey in the new one, but feels like doesn't have the same sort of rapport as he does in, the like, the original movie. Right. Yeah. And I feel like the original movie, like, it makes it very clear that Bato, not really a people person, like, he very much doesn't care about, like, civilians and stuff whenever like he's doing his job and in the movie they actually have to or in the 2017 movie they actually have to like say you don't like people do you he's like no (laughs) i like dogs it's like okay (laughs) (laughs) hell he's a bad after my own heart (laughs) it's a nice little touch that's like oh well we're gonna have him like have dog companions right but but i like that in this very like this interracial movie also have to have very interracial um, dogs for him to feed. Like there's a there's right. a basset hound, there's a German shepherd. Like it's a eclectic mix. See, here's the thing. I I think they should have gone farther on that. And like every time he's off duty in a scene, he should just have like twelve dogs around him. The, <laughs> the screen should just be filled with dogs. Like all right, these like dogs he's driving the major around, and like there's just. <laughs> Three dogs in the back seat sticking their heads out the window. <laughs> <laughs> They're on his boat, and like there's a dog there. My favorite bit about his characterization, though, is that uh, near the climax of the movie, he's got one of his dogs in like a lawn chair on the t- <laughs> the roof of his like apartment complex, just like watching the ads roll by on a nearby <laughs> building. <laughs> it's like really choice. Man, this cyberpunk future sounds great. This is the life I want to lead. It's sort of weird because, like, before that, he's like, uh, you, uh, Major, you gotta feed the dogs. I've got these robot eyes now, and I don't want to scare my dogs anymore. And, like, then, like, the next time you see him, he's just like, oh, wow, this, the dogs are fine with my robot eyes. I don't know why I was so worried. Yeah, dogs... <laughs> it takes such Turns a dog out, if you're wearing them. sunglasses, your dogs still recognize you. Yeah, that's kind of the thing. Dogs don't really care about how you look. They care about how you smell. Boy, does he smell. <laughs> like, I could lose my legs right now, and my parents' dog would still be trying to fucking hump my legs. <laughs> and then we have, like, Togusa, who's, like, isn't He's a character there. in the new movie. 
yeah, like, I feel like he, he exists to be sort of like the, the counter to everyone where he's like, oh, I don't, I'm only going to get the cybernetic enhancements that are required of my job. You know, I, I, I prefer to be as human as possible. I was like, I, I also want to use this, this like classic gun that I have. Well, he never really makes a point of it. You just see it in one scene. And that's like, oh, that's a little something for the, the Easter egg hunters. That's the guy played by Beat Takeshi, right? No. No, that's, that's uh that, that no, that's the that's the chief. Oh. Uh Tokusa's the one with the bad mullet. Oh, he's like the driver in the original, because I, <laughs> I, I I barely remember yeah. him. I, I think he has a lot more of a character in the original. Um and, like, I think that the exposition he does about him not having any, like, mechanical bits is a lot better, especially when the Major is like, well, we can't all be the same. That's what's important about a team, is that we all have different, like, outlooks, and we solve problems in different ways. And my thing is to drive this car really fast. Okay, but he also solves a mystery. <laughs> yeah, he solves the mystery of how to fix his dang car. <laughs> But like, yeah, and then like he's just like kind of not a character in the new movie. Like he right. he shows up, he shows up to his job, but he's like not doing anything. He shows up and he gets mad whenever one of the other characters has a cybernetic enhancement. Right, like oh you got a, you got a new spleen that makes it so you can't get drunk. Ugh. Uh, look at you, normie. You dang normie. That's what you say. <laughs> I bet he doesn't even smoke weed. I mean. To be fair, I do think overall, like, the existence of his character, even in the original, is kind of mostly superfluous to, like, the actual plot and happenings of what you can do with the concept. Yeah. Mm. But you get a better idea of them being a team in the original than this one, where That's it's like, true. oh, well, uh, you know, it's like, oh, well, Mira's here and Bato's here. Like, the chief doesn't really do anything in either of them, but he's, like, way more of a role in the 2017 one versus Togusa, who, like, really just shows up. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think in general, like, both movies kind of, like, focus more on the relationship between the Major and Bato. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I feel like that's a good place to have it. Yeah. And then, like, the Chief, um, where is in, like, the original, he's sort of just, like, He's, you know, he's taking care of them, and he's, like, smart, and he's, like, making sure that he's in command of all these characters and making sure that they're doing their job. And I think he's the guy who built Astro Boy. He seems a lot more active in the new one, where, like, there is totally a scene where the, um, this, the, the evil corporation, Hanka, tries to, like, assassinate everyone in, uh, Section 9, and beat Takeshi just shoots a bunch of dudes by, like, pretending to die in his car. <laughs> <laughs> Which also, I I say that they're trying to go for a universal world, but it's very clearly Japan because they're driving on the other side of the car, yeah. right? Like it's not, it's definitely not taking place in well, it America. Could be England, it could be England. Yeah, I guess it could be literally anywhere but America. But why yeah. set it there? I mean, it's in um, New Zealand. But I I I love. Like, I would love scene. if they just said like, oh, isn't New Zealand beautiful this time of year, Bato? <laughs> but I I love. Like, an entire scene of, like, Beat Takeshi, like, killing assassins because they're trying to make it look badass, but, like, Beat Takeshi is, A, obviously <laughs> drunk, and B, just kind of mumbling Japanese. So it's just really, like... And then he drops all his empty bullets on him. Yeah, it's like fucking hearing Tom Waits trying to be, like, a badass killer. It's just not happening. It's just some guy mumbling some shit out. 
And, like, the bad corporation is trying to, like, murder all the members of Section 9, which just sounds like a bad look on their part. I mean, Section 9, pretty big part of, like, the whatever police department, I'd assume, if they're, like, this pretty big anti-terrorism group, and mm-hmm. they're just gonna murder all of them, which is kind of crazy. Ah. Section 1 through 8 went through the same stuff. Who cares? Oh, okay. <laughs> Budget cuts, you know. And I think just for the sake of what they're doing with the story, the chief ends up being a, a, a more prominent character in the new one, because it's like, you know, the guy from Hanka Labs is like, oh, you know, Mira's gone loose because I couldn't <laughs> She's kidnap crazy. her and steal her memories. You know women, am I right? <laughs> they always be shopping and trying to <laughs> destroy my corporation. It's like, oh, she killed the doctor, you gotta put out a a wanted call for her, and it's like, nope. And so the chief is, like, a little more active in sort of, like, protecting his team and stuff than in the other one, where it's sort of like he's just doing his job. Right. So, you know, it's, it, it, it is definitely, like, a remix of the original with all these different characters, especially when it comes to the, the villain, I guess, of the movie, whereas in the first one, it's, like, the puppet master, who's this AI that's gained sentience, and um, decide to sort of, like, betray his creators. Whereas this other one is like, oh, this is this um, cyborg experiment gone wrong, who is trying to, like, take it out on um, the the Hanka Corporation and everyone who works for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, he's uh, the major's boyfriend in a past life, it turns out. Right. It's like definitely he's trying to, they're trying to make it more of a character and someone that you can relate to and also setting up like a romantic subplot that ends up going nowhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's in general kind of like, um, mostly because like, uh, yeah, the CEO is just a big villain in the 2017 movie. And I think that's entirely also because like the 2017 movie tries to go for a more like humanistic, like characterized approach and playmaker just kind of doesn't fit as well for that since it's a bit more out there but the big problem with that is that it ends up feeling a lot more generic because the ceo is just an evil ceo and we've seen that a million times he's a bad guy who takes control of the spider tank for some reason he's like oh i want to build these robots to work for me and you know to protect me sort of thing so it, it becomes a lot more sort of like your your standard Hollywood sort of villain at that point. I mean, that's also because in the original, like, Playmaker kind of isn't dealt with like a villain. He just kind of like rambles on for 10 minutes, like the major, and then she's, okay, let's fuse. Yeah. Right. You mean Puppet Master. I mean, pu- like, I mean, Playmaker like, the- also a good name. Right. <laughs> Actually, that they, that's, that's what they should have called him in the new movie. Wasn't he's that the- what they called him in the new movie? I don't know. No, he's Kuze. Oh. <laughs> Playmaker is the guy from the new Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> is he? Oh, man. That's, uh, oh, jeez. I'm sorry. I ran on, like, a couple hours of sleep before this. <laughs> now let's discuss the transhumanism themes of uh, Jerry Bean's man. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that. Yeah. But yeah, you see, you see these big changes, and ultimately that ends up, like, changing how the themes are represented and that changes how sort of like the characters develop in ways that I feel definitely like feels like you said, more generic in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways. 
like it definitely feels like it, it it ends up being sort of like oh well now it's just like a hollywood action movie whereas like even if you don't like the original like the original is trying to to say something different and try to do something different um and one thing i in comparison i like yeah. about the original is like it's never really clear if uh matoko is actually like is she actually just an ai or is she an actual human like they say she's a human but it's not like she hasn't been lied to before and she might just be like an ai under it all which i think is interesting and they they do not have that in the new movie she is very right. clearly a human right they say that at th- they make sure you know that at the very beginning when um they say when one of the people who worked on her is like we made you a new body a synthetic shell but your brain, your mind, your ghost is still here. And the, that's one thing and that really bothered me. And then she really meets her mom, me. and her mom is like, you look at me just like my daughter did. And you're, you're just like, your daughter looked at you with like this vague, expressionless like confusion? I mean, okay, let's be real, though. Let's be real for one second. The original movie also has that problem, at least in the dub, where it just kind of like name drop shit and just kind of like tend to spell it out for you well right but like it's consistent when it just always uses the word ghost Mm -hmm. and shell like it it, they they don't ever have to feel like they say like that was the 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 clumsy part of that line for me is that it's expository in a way that like really dumbs it down so it's like oh well don't worry we're going to tell you exactly what it is because ultimately kind of contextless for them to explain it otherwise. It's like Makoto was at a spelling bee and she was like, can you use it in a sentence? <laughs> so I, I think it's just it's just clumsier because I feel like them using that terminology just is a little more natural in the original. Right. Mm. No one feels like they have to explain to each other what a ghost is. Right. And I think they only really say shell at the end whenever she gets a new body. I'm I'm just not a big fan of like title dropping in general i think it's sure. a bad like writing move. right your fi- your least favorite line in uh blade runner is whenever like the guy's yeah. like uh oh, decker doing this stuff is really like running on a blade very difficult <laughs> I, I mean on the other hand like sometimes i love it though like you remember in 12 years a slave when at the end is like well that was my 12 years as a slave and then it says finish but like, um, <laughs> or in the yeah. uh, the movie Lincoln, where he's like, "My name's Abraham." Oh gosh, I forget the rest. That's one thing I was kind of surprised by when um when I was watching the original movie is like, I felt like I was expecting something that was a little more detached. Like it wouldn't be so expository, and specifically, they wouldn't say effectively just ghost in the shell, but mm-hmm. they totally do, right? Mm-hmm. And then it just kind of gets worse in the new movie. <laughs> so yeah, dialogue is bad in both movies, in my opinion. Yeah, no, to- it's it's a lot- The first one is a lot more like people are reading essays to each other, for yeah, sure. Yeah, no, like, that's uh thing I actually put down in, like, my notes, which I shared with you, because once again, I have no actual notes, I just kind of, right. like, tell people about shit. Um, like, both movies tend to be very, like- Expositiony, but mm-hmm. um, the old movie in general takes more of like a quasi philosophical, like freshman in college fe- 
uh, feel to it, where they're like, ah, this is what it means like to be human, right? And the uh, new one, on the other hand, is way more literal. It way more just like outright like expositions about like what these characters think rather than being questioning. Yeah. Alright, and I think before we get into deep dive, because I don't know if we'll we'll hit this throughout our actual discussion, do we want to do like a brief um, just a, a quick look at all of our thoughts on these two movies and sort of like likes, dislikes, and sort of what, what we came out of each of them with. Sure. Um, um, so for Ghost in the Shell 1995, I like it. I can't say it's like a movie that I absolutely love or one that I'll revisit a lot, but I think it is a good movie. Mm-hmm. But I think the themes of like transhumanism are interesting. I think like the action scenes are actually really what I'm most interested in. Like I'm way more interested in like the procedural like um, police stuff than the actual like uh, um, thematic stuff. So, right, Jay. What you're saying is is I want to watch the TV show. I guess. Yeah, you would like <laughs> Law or SVU, but Ice T's a robot. Oh, and also he shows up well, his titties the whole time. From right. what I understand, that's standalone complex. So yeah, but like, and I just really like the way the characters like handle themselves in fights. I like the way like. Like, the character designs, I think, are really good. Like, especially, like, Major and her, like, casual clothes. I think that that's a good 90s anime look. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that, well, like, uh, you see the Major's titties a lot. I think, like, <laughs> I can justify that sort of in a way where it's like, yeah, like, you saw this character going through, like, you you know it's a robot, but man, that sure looks like a human being, I guess. <laughs> and I think one thing about it too is like it's it's very clear like oh well you have to if you if you need to use this camouflage you have to be uh, naked right except you can wear gloves I guess yeah that, I, that I, doesn't count I like that <laughs> day here I like, only recognizes like human beings if they're naked oh <laughs> you only okay. know whether they're a robot if they have an inner in or Audi all right that's a little mean but I'll, I'll take that on the chin <laughs> yeah, I'll um, take it as a compliment. Look, I know the female body, what can I say? But I I think that that's a theme that sort of, like, pops up here and out throughout the movie, is, like, something that looks incredibly natural, but is not, and, Mm -hmm. well, does that matter at a certain point? Sure, okay. So, I I like the first movie, I think it's, it's pretty good. Good action scenes. Maybe a bit too many, like music videos with establishment shots for, like, I don't know, two to three minutes at a time. No way, those were the best parts of the movie. (laughs) Right, because then you can get a beer and or think about humanity. Uh, You get this beautiful music, you see some shots, and you're like, man, I wouldn't want to live in that place. Actually, yeah, that's (laughs) another thing. I think that the setting's really good, because it's like this weird future world that everything still sucks. Except some people just have, um, like, audio jacks in their neck. It's almost, like, comforting in a way to see, like, this 
like even though so many things change the bad parts of society i guess are still the same <laughs> which maybe on the other hand not so comforting like there's a um like the intro to the movie it just like has this um it shows this text and it's like um in a world where like technology has advanced like stupid amounts uh we still have borders and like you think about wow that is kind of fucked up isn't it well like ghost in the shell is sort of the, more of like a post cyberpunk thing where instead of setting up sort of like this this dystopia and uh, a team of people who are fighting against this corrupt system it's a group of characters that are working within the system and it's more of an exploration of the way that the advancement of technology ends up affecting the people who who live within society rather than setting up some kind of larger conflict within it. Yeah, like... And Cyberpunk at that point had already kind of like... Yeah, it hit its wave, so it wasn't really like a thing where it was still going on. Right. But yeah, that's, I think that's basically my thoughts on uh, 1995 Ghost in the Shell. Okay. I'm pretty similar with that. Like, I think just all of the, um, all of the, the hearsay about it sort of like painted my expectations in a way that didn't exactly get fulfilled, but I was still really into it for the, the visual, uh, work being put into it. I think like it's just a very well done movie overall. Um, like there, there are so definitely some good thematic elements to it, things that pop up and it's a, it's an interesting, I think, movie because whereas a lot of stuff is trying to sort of overwhelm you, I think, in a lot of ways with sort of like music and visuals and everything, Ghost in the Shell takes a lot of time to just sort of be contemplative and sort of, you know, quiet in a way that not a ton of media does on such a large scale. So there's a lot of neat stuff going on, I think, with Ghost in the Shell. And while, it, yeah, it's not like my favorite movie, it's not something that I'm going to come back to a lot. Like, it is a representation of something, and that's something I think is sort of like a peak of animation at the time that it was being created. You know, it's, it, is a, it is a capstone sort of film, and it's really cool in that way. Um, so, I don't like the movie. I don't like the original God movie. Damn. I, oh, jeez. I think it's kind of a mediocre movie, honestly. It's really pretty, but uh, I tend to be a person who's very, like, focused on You're like, character. all flash, no ass. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I tend to be a person who's very focused on, like, characterization and dialogue as being, like, things that interest me. And I feel... A lot of the dialogue in the original Ghost in the Shell is, like, very bad and, like, going a bit too hard on trying to seem philosophical. There were some bits of dialogue I liked. Um, I liked whenever um, the Major was talking to Togusa in the car, even though that that was, like, a, a little bit, like, exposition-y. I think it, like, did a really good job at showing, like, Togusa's place in the world. Even though that doesn't really matter all that much in the movie. Yeah, yeah it builds a world, and but the, you, you do point out a good thing. It's like, it's very expository. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. it's like, 
just in general, it feels like a lot of the scenes just kind of exist there to like uh, have the character just kind of say, this person is a brave man. He is 28 and he is the best driver in the world. Like it's dialogue like that whenever a character is introduced and that kind of bothers me a lot personally. I feel like it's the sort of thing where these these two pieces are at odds because um, both of them work towards, I think, the thematics that they want to do, but they either aren't talking at all or they are talking a lot <laughs> and sort of like there's there's not a great balance on that. Right. Um, I think it's really pretty, but overall the pacing also just feels really off a lot of the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because, like, the actual movie, I don't think really happens until, like, I'd say about, like, 30 or 40 minutes in. Yeah, like, there's, um, there's the scene, like, where they take out the guys in the truck, and that's, like, that's not really part of the movie. Like, it's tangentially related, but... Mm -hmm. It doesn't really need to be there. Like, you could edit that out, like, no problem. Um, but then the movie would only be, like, 40 minutes, so... Yeah, and also, it has the best scene in the movie, the one-way right. fight. Yeah. You know what Ghost in the Shell feels like? What? Ghost in the Shell feels like an OVA stitched together. Yeah, I'm actually gonna say, if it wasn't for the fact that, like, the uh, finale, like, kind of feels like its own thing, it feels very much like a pilot for a TV show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. Because it's like, I think it gets to where it wants to go with the themes of that whole scene. But yeah, the whole scene as it of, in and of itself is sort of, like, reminding you that this is a police team <laughs> mm-hmm. more than anything else. Look at these cool guys. Vato doesn't care about anybody. He's a terrible driver. <laughs> so then, uh, what about the 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 new movie? Um, woof that new movie. Oh boy. <laughs> oh, we were talking about how like the the original feels like stitched together. God, this one is. Oh God, this one is just. So there's a lot more talking and like less like establishment shot scenes but everything is just so boring like god these ah scar joe just she like put in a terrible performance with this which is like it's really bad like (sighs) i haven't seen scar joe in anything good much lately like, like, I think she's fine in, like, the Marvel movies. Like, she's I think, fine enough. Yeah, like, I, I think she does, like, some decent, like, action when it's called for and stuff. But, like... I, I think the big problem with her in those Marvel movies is that she just doesn't have a lot to work with. Yeah. Right. Right. She She's infertile, and that's her whole character. Right. She's a monster because she's infertile. Oh, um, but she is sexy, my friend. She oh, is God. sexy. This, the irony of man, a, a sexy woman who can't have a baby. The heck? But uh, her performance in this, like, I I get that she's supposed to be a robot lady, but, like, in the original anime, like, the major wasn't, like, super emotional, but she had a very, like, 
she had an intensity to the way she talked and the way she like interacted with the world. And like Scarlett Johansson just seems like she's like half there, like in a daze. Yeah, no, that's the thing. Like, like there's a part in the movie where she's like basically on tranquilizers and it's kind of hard to tell the difference. Yeah, like she's supposed to be kind of stoic, but like, Basically, every time they, like, ever try to be stoked, she just kind of stands there out agape, like, fucking a slack-jawed jokel just going, robots? Also, like, she looks kind of, like, she's only, like, I think, like, 33 or something, but she kind of feels a bit too old for the part, because, like, especially the way she dresses. Like, I, I actually know. have a lot of notes about all the characters' hair, <laughs> because I noticed- how terrible all their hair was like <laughs> okay scarlett johansson she looks like somebody trying to be ramona flowers from scott pilgrim uh beat takeshi looks like a 70s anime character yeah that's cool though Bato looks like looks like if guy fieri was a jrpg character and i like that okay. Bato. okay I, actually honestly Bato, my favorite character in the movie i think that <laughs> he did the best job but togusa his mullet looks like somebody tried to describe to a hairdresser what a mullet is supposed to look like. <laughs> okay, can I just say one thing about Bato? In my okay. notes, I don't actually have any notes, but I just recall <laughs> this. Uh, I wrote down that Bato looks like he's trying to be a very bad Ron Perlman cosplayer. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And, like, they try to build up the relationship between the Major and Bato, like, a lot more. But they just are so awkward together. Like, I feel like there's only, like, one good, like, interaction between them. And it's, like, after Bato gets his special eyes. And right. the Major just, like, flicks him off. And he's like, ah, I can see that. She's like, how many fingers am I holding up? And I love like, those right. little eyes. I love those little fucking eyes. They <laughs> They're look like so two tiny, tiny periscopes. And the fucked up thing is that they show, like, people with robot eyes that just look like normal eyes. Yeah, but, like, his eyes are more powerful. It's like Jordy in, like, the next generation. He's got that dumbass Pfizer, but he's got x-ray. God, He it's... can see if you have cancer, Jay. Isn't that handy? That's No, he's gonna give eyes. me cancer with his x-ray. Stop looking at me. <laughs> Stop looking at me with your tiny little eyes. Look at me with your special eyes. <laughs> Yeah, he just, like, screams my brand. Actually, I love when he's in the explosion, and <laughs> he's just, like, covering his eyes. Like, he's been terribly wounded in this explosion. <laughs> he's just like, oh, no, my eyes! Like, that's- it's. Not- I can't believe the only thing that got hurt was his eyes. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, I feel like the 2017 movie, it's, it is really trying to do something different with its its themes and its characters and how it portrays all of that. It's definitely trying to make it more approachable. Yeah, it's it. I, I, you know, I respect it for that. It's definitely like falling into sort of like a more Hollywood structure to it, so that it is, uh, it is going to be more um, approachable than say the original, which is a lot different. You know, it it has like two or three like real major scenes to it that would like that like capture the eye. And this one tries to do a lot more with that, which, um, you know, it, oh, God. It, I don't think it works because I feel like it. <laughs> Guys, they turned Japan into the world's biggest tourist trap. 
it's an international world. It doesn't take place in Japan. No, I see. No, this is city. (laughs) Okay, I would believe if you said this doesn't take place in Japan. This takes place in somebody's fetish of Japan. Like this is (laughs) this fucking city. Oh my god! I love that city. It is just fucking like holograms all over just like 12 million Hatsune Miku holograms there's one of David Letterman like <laughs> signing her off it's two backs all over it's fucking amazing <laughs> but yeah I, I feel like when it tries to do all of these different things it gets really muddy and that's where the problem with the new movie is is that it's it's trying to do too many things with the setting it's given so it feels a lot less focused than the original does. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, yeah, it just, it kind of limps its way to to an ending rather than feeling like it's building up to something. Like, even with Ghost in the Shell not being, like, super dynamic, it feels like it is constantly getting to something. Right. Whereas this one really doesn't. I feel like this one tries to, like, handle a bunch of different, like ideas about transhumanism like oh the major can't feel touch and oh the major's sad about this or that but it never actually like and is Bato able loses his eyes right but it's never able to actually like pin down like anything it just like like you just see all like this this collage of ideas and none of them ever get fleshed out it's just that big collage of pictures it's Oh, this movie's a mess. Like, it's not even... Like, you'd think the parts that would be good would be, like, the action scenes or something like that, but they aren't even good. It's just... Oh, man. Ugh. This movie was tiring to watch. Wow. Ugh. I I actually have a, a quick note from Jay sending me a message, and, um... Says, uh, Chorps, I have no idea how much longer this movie is, but it's so boring. I've got 30 minutes to go, and I won't be on the podcast because I'll be dead. (laughs) Well, geez. If only you weren't on there, we wouldn't have such a negative Nancy. Because you know what? Well, guys, I I think I should give my final thoughts. Two thumbs way up. Uh, Run, don't (laughs) walk. (laughs) See Ghost in the Shell. This is the movie of the year. I hated it, but it's the only movie I've seen. Actually, I think this is the only movie I've seen in 2017. <laughs> so that's the saddest thing I've ever heard. Cool. Oh no, I watched Lego Batman, which I think does way better at themes of transhumanism. <laughs> is he a Lego or is he a Batman? I don't well, know. See, in Lego Batman, they don't call it transhumanism; they call it Batmanism. That joke sucks. <laughs> sorry. Keep it in. It's okay, so what- Shame him. (laughs) So, future friend, uh, you seem to be the most at odds with the rest of our opinions, so why don't you tell us what you think about the 2017 movie? So, I think the 2017 movie, um, I think it's still a very mediocre movie overall, but I enjoyed it a lot more than the first movie because of how fucking dumb it is at times. And, like, it's actually, (laughs) like- got some pretty decent shots at times and i think it's like colorful and chaotic looking oh i think it's so like dull looking like like especially like comparing shots between one and the other like i just feel like in the new movie like everything's so muted with the colors 
but like I feel kind of different about that. Like the um, like the old movie kind of went with the old style of cyberpunk of like kind of having like these chaotic like busy streets that are like very gray and such. It's a lot flashier though, is the thing. Yeah, like it's, it's flashier, but I feel like the environment is like just this slog of like uninteresting looking like hologram buildings while like i really like the setting in the original ghost in the shell of like this crowded like kind of almost dilapidated like town or like city and it's just it's a very like different thing to what like you feel like sort of normally for like especially something set in japan yeah and like the new movie makes the city feel a lot more like uh, commercial and like mm-hmm. more important rather than kind of like a run-down ass city. Mm-hmm. It's a very different, I think, interpretation of the future. Yeah. Whereas this feels, I think, more traditionally like it feels a lot more like um, like with Blade Runner. We have the bits where like you know the faces are plastered on the the sides of these buildings. It feels a lot more like that than the original feels like Blade Runner. Yeah. Right. I feel so but also like it's a weird like in the new movie they just have like the most impractical use of like their insane technology like here's a photograph of somebody and instead of just being a piece of paper it's a tiny holograph of a person's face <laughs> yeah that shit's cool though Mister, like kind of positive on it this whole movie i mean oh yeah um it's hard to say like i i had fun enough watching it, but also I was, uh, take a few tall glasses of water. But, like, I don't know, I enjoyed it a lot more than the original, and I think, like, it's actually, like, a bit better of a watch in general. Alright, well, um, I guess that's it for the podcast. Um, (laughs) I'll be severing from Future Friend. He's no longer on my next LP. Um. (laughs) Damn it. I knew my controversial anime opinions would come to haunt me one day. I think his little sister can be this cute. Oh my god, <laughs> stop it. Okay, now you're going too far, mister. So, now that we've sort of gotten the plot and sort of the bigger differences out of the way, I wanted to discuss some of the, like, more general themes that came out at least when I was watching both of these and sort of discuss where the the bigger differences of these movies lie. And I think the first one that's pretty obvious is that it is, uh, that the Ghost in the Shell 2017 is a lot more American of a movie, right? We, we've talked about yeah. it a little bit before. It's ultimately become sort of like a, a generic sort of like action movie by the end of it. It mm-hmm. definitely follows a, a more formulaic structure for how it goes into each of its acts and you know each of its um, each of its beats, and sort of like it. I think one big issue with that is that it loses that sense of it. It definitely loses a sense of uniqueness because of that. Where like with with Ghost in the Shell, the original, it feels like it's it's building up to more of a um a thematic conclusion rather than a a really story-based conclusion right Mm -hmm. but she still fights a cool tank at the end and it's like yeah that's still cool 
that's still cool for sure. But she doesn't get naked, which I am always huge problem. <laughs> she does get naked, though. Yeah, oh. I mean, the, we're we're led to believe that the serrated and like separate segmented like skin stuff that um that uh Mira is wearing is her like her end estate. It is definitely less natural than the original wants you to believe it is. Right. Yeah. Whereas the original tries to go with this idea like, oh, they've advanced so far that um, they're basically indistinguishable from humans on the outside. I mean, to be fair, we never see a human naked in this movie, so we really have no point of comparison. <laughs> All well, humans have grown to have three nipples in, the new, in this new <laughs> cyberpunk world. <laughs> But yeah, I, I, it was like, when I was watching The Ghost in the Shell, it's like, um, the new one, it's like, I I feel like I I was still surprised by things, but ultimately, like, the way that the story developed was like, oh, well, okay, it's going here, and then here, and here. And it, and it kind of feels clumsy in the way that it gets to some of the things. Like, um, Bato losing his eyes is, it feels really goofy, because, like, him and Mira get caught in an explosion set up by uh, Kuze, the terrorist. And the only damage... Well, so, like, uh, Scarlett Johansson loses some of her, like, skin and stuff, and that has to get, you know, re, uh, reattached and everything. Right. Mm-hmm. And a surprisingly, like, grotesque scene, I thought. I was actually pretty, yeah. like... I-, I thought that that was, like, a pretty alright, like... Uh, not not exactly an all right scene, but I guess a, a good shot, good enough. An effective one. Yeah, an effective yeah. shot. Like it tried very much, uh, like it succeeded at what it tried to do. Like she's basically getting new skin, three D printed on. Oh yeah, that's good. That'd be cool. And then she's like, "Can I have a cup holder on my tummy?" It's like, no, that's not <laughs> practical. <laughs> <laughs> But then, like, Bato is just like, oh, well, he's got caught in this explosion, but all that happened is he, like, burnt his eyes out. Like, somehow, the only damage he took is that his eyes burned out and nothing else on, like, his face, right? It's just a little weird. Do you think maybe, yeah. like, he that, that's been, like, his ploy for a while? Like, he's been eyeing those new super eyes and just like, oh, <laughs> my <laughs> eyes, they hurt so much after the explosion. <laughs> oh, no, they don't work any. Well, give me the periscopes. Give me the fucking periscopes. <laughs> and then we talked about it before where, like, they, they have to show that Bato is, you know, not really a people person by having him have all these dogs, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like, it, it feels like when it came over, it's like, oh, well, we have to make these things a lot more literal for our audience. We have to change some of these things to, to feel more comfortable. And I think that's in some ways where, like, the biggest failings are with the movie is where it, it, it feels like it's playing it too safe with material that could otherwise be used to make something more interesting and unique out of it. Yeah, I feel in general a huge flaw of the movie is that uh, it essentially tried to have its cake and eat it too by um, like the fact that it wants to be its own thing at times and then also pay a lot of fan service to the original. And totally. I find yeah. in general that uh, adaptations I feel should use a lot of the same concepts and such, but also realize that fan servers should be brought to death. Mm-hmm. I feel like this could have been like a pretty good, like just a- 
action movie, but like they still try to like muddy the waters with the f- the philosophy, and then just the action scenes aren't very good. Like even when um, Scarlett Johansson breaks through the window stuff and like starts shooting down all those geisha robots, right? Mm-hmm. Like that that one shot is what they used in the trailers, and like it has a pretty good like dynam- dynamicism to it. Where, like, you know, she's breaking through, it slows down, all the glass is crashing across. But, like, then it gets in, and it's just sort of like, bang, 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 we're done, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where in the original, that guy's head fucking explodes. Okay. And, like, it takes so, a second, yeah. and you're like, whoa, did she shoot him? Whoa, she shot him! That, <laughs> like, here's the thing for me. That's also the thing. I know they probably want to keep it PG 13, because Hollywood is, like, a weird beast that, like, kind of, like, doesn't produce movies, uh, like, that are many R-rated, and then, like, go, well, R-rated movies don't make any money, because we don't make them. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, Batman versus Superman sure showed them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, agreed. And so, it's kind of a shame, because, like, uh, a Ghost in the Shell really needs some hypergore, especially if you have B. Takashi on, like, C. Right. And, like, there's kind of some hyper gore in the original, even outside of just like that gunshot. Like y- you definitely see it, um, and we'll get to this more in detail. But like when um, the major is ripping off the the spider tank's top, God, that seems so good in the original. Yeah, it's it's disgusting and visceral in the original, whereas like it gets about halfway there with this one. Yeah, and I think like- that that's an issue where like. There, it's it's definitely a different time where I think they could have totally gotten away with that if it weren't 2017. Yeah, but like now it's just it's just been kind of cleaned up in a way that is just like ugh. it doesn't it doesn't have the same impact to it. I mean, the original, like for all my problems with it, I think the hypergore was actually a small way because it like kind of punctuates that shit's about to go down after like all the quietness and kind of like slow pacing you had before that. Like, suddenly in, like, the middle of essentially this quiet movie, you just have this second of excessive violence. Mm-hmm. Just to mm-hmm. kind of, like, showcase of, ah, oh, fuck, things are, like, ramping up. Right. Totally. You bring up ratings, and I think that is part of why it can't be quite as, like, visceral and quite as, like, shocking as the original is with its, like, action scenes. And probably, um... Scarlett Johansson didn't want to be, like, topless for, like, a, a third of the movie, so, like... Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the real issue. Right. Oh, boy. Hollywood always keeping me down. Oh, but you Remember know, how, like, like there's I... that controversy where they were like, oh, we're gonna use computer effects to try to Asian up Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> they originally wanted to just, uh, do, like, um, green screen some nipples onto her, uh, <laughs> clothes. <laughs> I guess that's one difference we didn't talk about with the characters. In the original, the Major totally has nipple mods on her robot body. Right. Anything else specific we want to talk about the Americanization? Uh, the text crawl at the beginning is, like, just... Like, I remember, like, I liked the text crawl in the original because it's, like, very much, like, setting up this world in, like, real abstract ways. And then the text crawl in the 2017 one is just, like, uh, we made a robot and we put a, a lady in it. <laughs> Just Can like you believe Star it? Wars. Wow. But yeah, I think that's another thing with the setting change where it's like, oh, well, you know, now that this is like a brand new sort of thing, you know, it's it's the first of its kind. 
there is something that's kind of lost to to the to the thematic elements of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think just in general, um, I don't feel like uh, Ghost and Shell really needs a text crawl because we're all familiar with robots now. We're all familiar with the idea of like, oh, hey, what if you put like a human in a robot? Can a robot be human? What if you put a ghost in a shell? And that's one of oh those things God. where it's like it gets caught up in trying to be fan service because like, oh, it wants to follow that same structure of putting the text crawl in. Yeah. And it's it's just like we we have so many stories about like, oh, well, this person's very unique because of this one reason. And this just ends up falling into that again because like, oh, this is the only cyborg. Well, sort of. It's the only cyborg that didn't really fuck up the person on the inside. Well, the last cyborg savior of humanity. Uh, I don't know, like, that's kind of a mess. I'm just, like, not a big fan of, in general, like, uh, American media always talking essentially about, like, the one great man or the one great Mm -hmm. woman. Mm -hmm. And this kind of goes into the next topic I wanted to talk about, and something that uh, was brought up a little bit in discussions before this is um, how Makoto's character ends up informing the story. And like as we said, it's like there's a very big difference with uh, American Mira, uh, where she's you know like the first cyborg, she's special in that way. And the sort of like the the more I feel like more dystopic sort of like idea of in the original manga, the idea by um, Shirao is that. Motoko is like a, a civilian model. It's, you know, it's a standard model that a lot of people use for their new body. And so she blends in even more. Like, not just because she can turn invisible. Right. So it's like, oh, you know, there are so many cyborg bodies out there that look just like her. So it does further kind of muddy that sort of idea that everyone's blending in, that she really is just sort of like, you know, a. Uh, a piece of the the puzzle rather than something that doesn't fit you know Mm -hmm. it definitely changes what the story is because now it's about this one person solving this great conspiracy that's related to her instead of like sort of trying to solve this mystery and how it ends up coming back to Matoko because by the end of the original it's like the puppet master you know talks to Matoko and is like uh, you know, I specifically made sure that Section 9 would get involved in this because I, throughout my, you know, like, exploration of the net, I, I came across you and you and I aren't so different in the way that we are and, you know, what we're looking for as um, sentient beings. Whereas in the new one, it's like uh, trying to recapture humanity of the character in a very different way that ends up coming back to sort of the past rather than the I guess further evolution of man mm-hmm. yeah so besides that was there anything in particular that you guys wanted to go over uh, first I know um, before the show and kind of as we were putting this together uh, the discussion of the major's sexualization came up quite a bit so I think the sexualization in the original is kind of interesting because she's naked a lot, but I don't feel like she's ever really, like... Oh, what's the word for it? 
Um, objectified? Objectified, thank you. Um, like, probably the most objectified scene is when she and Bot, like, she's on Bato's boat, and she, like, unzips her bathing suit, and Bato just, like, kind of looks away. Right. And, like, um, one thing I, I, I noted about this is, like, it's it's a very like even though she's naked a lot in the the original movie it's like very barbie doll-esque mm-hmm. like as we see the shot of her being built it's like you know it, it's everything's smooth you know like everything is it, it's very clearly like inhuman like it it's it hits that uncanny valley kind of thing and like with um matoko specifically like um there's this there's this accent of like femininity to the way she talks like in the original japanese um of the first movie uh matoko when in the beginning where where the chief's like oh there's a lot of static in your brain everything okay she specifically says like it's that time of the month which you know she's she's a robot so it's like like a joke but it's also like this weird sort of like again uncanny valley of like um the fact that you know she's this robot, but there is sort of this this um, ingrained femininity in herself, because at some point, you know, as we're led to believe, she was human. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, I just really like the the line like "There's a lot of static in your brain" because that instantly like informs you a lot about this world and how like oh, her boss just sees into her mind, basically. Right. Right. They're all connected through, like, uh, some kind of, like, telepathy thing. So, I kind of disagree with your whole, like, sexualization angle. Uh, Okay. I do, on the other hand, feel it is more put there as a purpose. Just kind of have some, uh, like, honkers to look at, you know? You think it's a TNA thing? I mean, I, I... Okay, yeah, like, if you look at the box art, like, for the Ghost in the Shell, it's, like, her with, like, her... Like, you see, like, just tons of cleavage, and she's wearing sunglasses, so she looks all cool. But I think, like, it's there to get asses in seats, maybe, but I think that they handle it in a pretty, like, respectful way, all things considered. Like, I... Yeah, like, I I, don't think there's anything super sexy about her character. I feel, in general, like, I would agree with you if it wasn't so excessive. If it wasn't Masamune Shirao? (laughs) Oh. Well... I'm, I'm disregarding him because he pretty much didn't really like actually work on the movie pretty right, much. Sure. Yeah. But like I feel the way like with how excessive and how much it appears, like I feel it they kind of kinda of, like done a point if it didn't happen that every fucking action like Matoko does has to involve with her being naked. Like uh her stripping in like the spider tank fight scene kind of just feels utterly unnecessary in general. Okay. And I kind of feel like puts that just over the edge for me on it like being kind of like sexualized rather than not. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah, it does happen a lot. But like I feel like um I've been looking at like some of her like character designs and like um like more recent things like in the anime and then like they've got art from like the more recent game and like it's a lot more like overt and her design like she shows a lot more like cleavage and like she's got sort of like a more like pouty pose almost and like her yeah it's definitely like it feels like as the character has evolved she's gotten like 
more traditionally attractive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, although, to be honest, I do have to say, I feel that this conversation... Also, of course, because we're all dudes. You're right, right. we're all three dudes, let's be right. fair. Yeah. And t- to be fair, we're super horny right now. Like, oh, you have we no idea. <laughs> jerking off every fucking Choco disaster. And it's why I stopped preparing for a while, because I just... I was getting a jerking problem. Right. I was doing it too much. You tried to do <laughs> a nofap uh, September. That didn't really work out. See, like, that's the thing. We at Coco Disaster, you know all those, like, other anime podcasts, and they talk like, oh, this woman, it makes us, like, so horny. We're trying to do the opposite, because we're attracted to intelligence rather than body. <laughs> right, and right. We have And that's what makes the original here. major so hot. Right. That's true. That's true, because, you know, she's a woman you could play chess with. Right. <laughs> the sexiest sport. No, but seriously, though, I will have to say, like, if any of you, um, like, lady listeners out there, which I think after all the segment <laughs> that gets from back there, we <laughs> so lost it's hot zero. <laughs> yeah. I do think I would actually appreciate, like, having your thoughts on what you view on the whole, like, sexualization of Matoko in the old movie. And whether it's objectifying or not. Yeah, I, I'd be very interested in that. Yeah. Yeah. Write an essay, because we can't be bothered. Right. <laughs> We're gonna do another episode on Ghost in the Shell, just so we can have another letters segment. Right. But yeah, so that's, I think, a way that the, the character is very different. Because you also get, like, this this lack of confidence from the, the, the newer, like, from Mira, right? Mm-hmm. Like, very uncomfortable... In her body, very uncomfortable, like, doing her work. Like, she is consistently being put into peril. Like, she is menaced a lot more than the original one is. She's, like, tased three times in this movie. <laughs> yeah, like, in a row. And it's, like, the, it's it's got this, like, vibe of, like, dysphoria to it where she doesn't feel comfortable in the body. She doesn't feel comfortable with who she is. And eventually that makes sense because, you know, she was kidnapped and you know, forced into this robot body and all of her uh, memories were, like, you know, She's actually been Asian the whole time. (laughs) Right. Oh, we'll get to Uh, that. But... (laughs) I I don't really... I kind of prefer, like, the Oratomotoko's character because I just... Like, I don't know, I just can't see Scarlett Johansson anyway as insecure whatsoever. (laughs) And I think that the the way I think you know it's it's different in the way that they want to tell this story, but the original one having such a like confident exterior and sort of like you know very methodical one, and then juxtaposing that with the fact that she has these thoughts about whether or not she's AI or human or whether or not you know like what it is to be an individual. I don't know, like that that feels. Like a like a better overall like um character character dynamic yeah where it's like oh well yeah it's like you know comes off as this confidence but there's there's something deeper inside than like constantly we're we're given the idea that the the Numatoko or uh, Mira is super uncomfortable and like nothing seems confident or like particularly powerful about her. Except for, like, the one fight she wins after getting tased, like, four times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I wonder if in general that was also done to kind of contrast the personalities of uh, her and Baito. Right. Uh, maybe. 
Because Bato is like the cool badass in this one. Yeah. And Balto is a dog who uh, delivers medicine. <laughs> oh my god, stop it. I have a cold. I'm doing this on my deathbed, and you guys just yeah, can't stop fucking grabbing my nuts and telling me they're bad. <laughs> or whatever that expression was. <laughs> yep, that's the one. Grabbing my nuts and telling me they're bad. Put that on a shirt. <laughs> Official Chaco Disaster merchandise. Don't wake me until I've had my nuts crapped. <laughs> but no, uh, seriously, no, I I do feel that's kind of like a thing I wish the movie like was a lot better about, like the dynamic between like Makoto and Baito, because it feels like there's a lot more there in like the American movie, but just the actors have no dynamic whatsoever with each other. Yeah, yeah totally. So it just it just feels less convincing with Scarlett Johansson. Uh certainly with her performance of um of Mira, I think, which is like the big like that ends up being sort of the big issue with it is like I I didn't feel like it was a believable character. Right. Hey, remember when in the new movie when she hires the prostitute and just keeps touching her face? Yeah, that was weird. Like, I get what it's trying to do, but that was a super clumsy way of doing it. Right. Because it's like, oh, well, you know, to try to recapture some of this humanity that she's lost is like, oh, tell me what it feels like when I, like, touch you. But it's like, like, it's, it's weirdly sensual, like, I think in how it's trying to frame it, but it just comes off as super awkward. Yeah, uh, ScarJo, she kind of looks like a stepmom trying to look young. Uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you get the idea that the Motoko um, from the original is, like, in, like, a 20-something body, you know, to, to blend in more naturally, maybe put people a little off guard, and, like, ScarJo is definitely, like, getting up there in a way that, like, that I think she's makes 30, the character She's 30, she's not weirder. old, she's not, like... But, like, like she's playing, she's playing, like, a 15-year-old in a 30-year-old body, which is, like, a weird juxtaposition sort of right. thing. And her jacket isn't nearly as cool as in the original right, anime. Course. Hey man, you know oh, what they're saying in Cyberpunk Future 30 is the new 15. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they say. You're right. So, with all of this discussion of her character, we, we end up getting to a lot of the, the thematic stuff. And we did talk about this before, but like when it comes to like transhumanism, right? And the idea of the self that comes out a lot more in the original, like not only because there's that like three minute scene where Matoko just straight up says the themes of the movie, right? Right. On the yeah, boat. Yeah, that was bad. That was that it was bad like, scene. yeah, it, it was, it, it was definitely one of those things where like, Oh, I thought ghost in the shell was supposed to be a lot more like, figurative. <laughs> right, I thought that they really, I, I thought they played a lot closer to the vest. Yeah, so here's my thing about Ghost in the Shell. I think here's the reason why I didn't like it. I'm not a teenager anymore. <laughs> if I was a dumb teenager, I would have liked that they spelled out all the teens because it would make me feel smart. <laughs> and not only that, because then, but because you're you know, you're younger, you would be like ruminating on the themes a lot more like, oh yeah! Yeah. Yeah, that is right! You know, like, oh! 
it does take a lot to make an individual and like define a human by their individuality. And I would be just like, wow, an anime and boobs? Oh, man. Wowzers! Yeah. Nowadays, I feel in general that like transhumanism as a team is kind of like overdone to the point of being boring. Sure, I get that. And like, I think the interesting thing that Ghost in the Shell does with it is we get two different sort of like perspectives on it between the puppet master and uh, Matoko. Because Matoko is looking at it for like, what is the difference between me and, a and and AI at this point? Like, all I have that's left of my human, uh, my human self is my brain, and any of those could have been planted in because sort of like, you know, we we've seen before that people have had their like minds altered by this hacker and like they can't reproduce any of the um, the old memories at this point. Like the mm -hmm. technology doesn't exist. So it's a lot of wondering whether or not she is truly human at this point because she only has this brain left, you know, this body doesn't belong to her, it's not hers. And then, when it comes to the AI, Puppet Master, like, when he gains sentience, like, the primary thing that he considers, like, part of humanity is the ability to, like, reproduce and, like, pass on your lineage. Right. To give birth and to die. <laughs> right. But, yeah, it's literally to give birth and to die, and so there's, like, these two very different looks, and because they come from what we believe to be, like, an original human and also, like, an original computer, we get these two contrasting ideas, which then, by the end, when they merge together, I think, you know, more or less, like, creates the whole person. Okay, so here's why I think the original Ghost in the Shell movie is smart. So, what you've been saying is, so, like, normally... Computers, they care about logic, <laughs> and humans, they care about horniness. <laughs> but in this movie, the computer is horny. Right, totally. It's, it's a reversal of all that we know, and that's why I think it is the movie of 2017. Yeah, this movie, in, in the original movie, the men are the ones that be shopping. <laughs> It predicted 2017 in horny culture. No, uh, but like, you say that as a joke, but I do think that there, there's something interesting there and in that it juxtaposes these two different ideas of humanity and, um, and like... Artificiality and... Yeah, like, it, that's, that's the thing that makes that neat. And then sort of like the way that they ultimately like combine these ideas into one person. And it's basically like, well... Our idea of passing off offspring now that we are AI is basically just like spreading our, you know, our data across the net, more or less. Like oh, leaving you make it sound so dirty. But like leaving this impression on the world via this like connected, you know, like uh, cyberscape, as it were. And like, and the new one is just sort of like a a loss of innocence, sort of like recapturing humanity story that we've seen before. Like, you know, ev everything about it is sort of like about the fact that Matoko feels uncomfortable in her body because she has no one to relate to. Mm -hmm. Which I I don't know, like I feel like those themes can really resonate with somebody like in this day and age, but like they're just like not really even handled all that well. Because it's trying to do a bunch of other themes too, because then it comes to like you know, the it comes back to this love story between these two runaway 
um, kids, like rebels, who, you know, end up on opposite sides of this fight because, you know... Never really sure what they're, like, rebelling from. Her mom seems very nice... Um, yeah, it's it's really like out of nowhere. It's like, oh yeah, she ran away at some point. And I don't get it. And then it's like, oh well, they were you know rebels living in this beat up building. And Maybe like, her mom just kept letting strangers into the house and holding <laughs> the cats and <laughs> and just saying, you remind me of my daughter. And Makoto got so <laughs> tired right of it. Okay, so like here's the twist. Here's the twist of these rebels, right? Mm-hmm. So like. The movie ends, and, like, Makoto jumps off the building, and then we go back to the (laughs) bird's building, and uh, we see there a flag, and on the flag, (laughs) and it's, like, half burnt and shit, and we zoom in on the flag, it's a confederate flag. Oh my god. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, and that's, this this is a further thing where it's, like, in the original, the, the ending of the movie is... Not only um, Puppet Master breaking the confines of, you know, his accessibility to the world, but Matoko is no longer duty-bound to the police, right? She's put into this black market body mm-hmm. and basically is untraceable at this point, right? She, you know, she gets to live her life as a civilian. Right. She's in the movie Untraceable. Um. Right, yes. And, like, we never really get that same sort of conclusion in the first one is just like, oh, well, now that I know who I am, I've come to su- accept my robot body and yeah. also this important corporation I'm man. I'm so dead. good at murdering people now. Actually, that's a, like, there's like this kind no, of- No, Takeshi is very good at okay. murdering people. But like, there's kind of like this reversal of the two movies because in the, in the original movie- uh, the Major starts out very good at following orders, and then at the end, she's like, oh, no, I'm gonna be my own person. Then in the in the the new movie, it's like, Major fucks up her orders, but at the end, she's very good at following them. It's like, kind of like a weird message that they're sending that I don't really get. Cops are good. Yeah, I guess so. If you're a robot, you gotta follow the laws. Right. That's the message. Like, you have no humanity. You work a job. I like when uh, in a new Ghost in the Shell movie, uh, like uh, the main villain has given up and beat Takeshi just murders him. <laughs> They're really yeah. inspiring. They're yeah. really cool to like shoot a defenseless man who surrendered. <laughs> well, he, he he had a spider tank that he was controlling. And like you, you see these different themes in sort of like corporations, right? Like, the, in the in the original, it's just like, oh, the advancement of technology has ultimately turned corporations into people that literally produce bodies for people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in the new one, it's like, oh, well, this one's actually evil because it's trying to do this. You know, like it, you know, it's actively trying to overtake people because of the this this like robot uprising idea, which I feel like also is like, yeah, we've just we've seen this theme before in like a way that like the original sort of like is just, like, an exploration of what the world will be like if we continue on a certain, like, trend. Finally, yeah. I won't have to retire. I can just keep working with my robot Thank body. But, but I do think that that's, like, a, a different way that it explores sort of, like, evolution of humanity and technology in a way that's, like, more interesting to think about than the one that's just, like, oh, well, this corporation is actively evil. Yeah. I feel... Um, 
honestly, that, like, the new movie also kind of the evil corporation to me, um, feels, like, a little bit too comic booky for, like, a cyberpunk thing, mm-hmm. where they're just mm. kind of, like, evil and wanting power when, even though that power is gonna cost them a lot of money, because corporations care about one thing, and that's money. That's yeah, why it they're seems evil. Like, you know, there seems like they're doing fine. Like, yeah. And they talk about, like, oh, we have literally dozens of failed cyborgs, like... Like, nearly a hundred. Right. So, like, they've had to put together, like, a hundred robot bodies that haven't worked. And, like, at what point would a corporation go, like, yeah, let's keep doing this? Yeah. Yeah. Also, like, why do they keep stealing all these runaway bodies? Like, like, I mean... Because no one's going to notice a bunch of runaways. Okay, but I feel like you could get somebody to, like, volunteer for something like this. To actually volunteer? You pretend it's for, like, dick Yeah, like, look at fucking, like, Peter Till. That guy, like, puts blood in himself in the hope that he lives longer. You're gonna get plenty (laughs) of rich idiots who want to, like, live in a cybernetic body forever. Right, and no one's gonna care about them either, so it's like, it's win-win, like... This plan is idiotic, and it's, it's like a PR disaster, and I, I, I don't know. I think this conspiracy is dumb. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just like, it's trying to do all these different things, and it's ultimately failing and, like, muddying themes that could totally work. Mm-hmm. But oh, no. just don't, because, like, the first one has a lot more of a cohesive theme. Like, the, the director says, like, this is my idea of what Japanese culture is like with the advancement of technology and what it's going to come to. Yeah. Okay, um, and just something real quick, if we can talk about the movie poster for the new one, it kind of just looks like Scarlett Johansson is looking at her phone, like, slightly off screen. <laughs> She's like, oh no, I got a text. <laughs> On I set. was really peeved, because, like, it turns out that, like, in America, for the theatrical release, they had, like, Mondo posters. And they didn't have that over here. They just had Scarlett Johansson looking to the side. And I don't like that. That Mondo poster, way cooler. Mondo poster? Yeah. Uh, the one that's like red, like, like the red and white and black uh, okay. sort of yeah. thing. So Mondo is a guy who makes a lot of like fan art of posters and he's insanely popular nowadays and he makes very cool drawings. Oh, okay. At first, I thought you were going to say, um, in America, they had, like, Ghost in the Shell uh, cups at the theaters, where it's like, you get the the Hanko um, <laughs> the sludge. Like, oh, yeah. I love the Hanko sludge. It tastes like cherries. <laughs> but honestly, to go back for a bit, like, this is going to go back a bit to Americanization and such, but I think as an adaptation, Ghost in the Shell also feels because, like, whereas the original kind of, like, thought of, like... The dude going, this is what I think Japan is going to look like in the future. Um, and the new Ghost in the Shell just kind of, like, tries to do that too. But, like, if you're going to adapt, like, something for, like, Western audiences like that, I think it should be more like, this is what I think America is going to be like in the cyberpunk future, you know? Yeah, what if this was, or took place in, like, Neo-South Dakota? I think that yeah, that would have been true. really interesting. Like, like the PR statement of, like, I think this is a very international story and that we can do anything with it. They don't, like, really do anything with the idea of it being an international story. Except that they've got, like, this NCIS, like, Cyber Tokyo, like, strange, like, cast of, like, all these different characters that don't do anything. There's one lady out there with two lines, was like, this 
fucking, like, cockney British lady. And she has two lines, and, like, I want to know how she got- How did this cockney British lady, like, end up all the way in Hong Kong? It's hard to say. And, like, what what are her cyber parts? Does she have a cyber nose? Can she, like, smell really far away? When's her spin-off movie gonna be? I'd watch it. Yeah. So it feels like it doesn't take advantage of the themes of the original movie, or its own themes, because it's, like, too beholden to the original Ghost in the Shell to, like, explore, well, let's let's really think about technology somewhere else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? And the words of Yoda, don't do that, or maybe do, just don't, like, not do it. <laughs> like, I feel that's a problem with most, like, adaptations of anime and manga in general, where it feels like more of them, like, trying to, like, just kind of repeat the story with some added, like, context rather than try to reinterpret the story of, like, with your own ideas, but have it be, like, the same concept and such. Right. Hopefully that, uh, that made anime will be good. Or the, what, what's that one that, like, um... That uh, Avatar Man is doing, James Cameron. Uh, oh, uh, Battle Angel Alita. That one. We'll find out, because it moved to Robert Rodriguez as oh, okay. a director. So it might be good. Who Didn't knows? Didn't he do the Spy Kids? Yeah. Yes. <sighs> yeah, he's, he's kind of not so great. So basically what I'm saying is, Edge of Tomorrow is still like the best adaptation of any Japanese nerd media. <laughs> because nobody knew it was an anime. Yeah, and again, it's like the only one that's been successful, so like... <laughs> yeah. uh, do you think, like, people not knowing about the original source material was helpful for it, Edge of Tomorrow? Oh, totally. Totally, but also no one knew about All You Need Is Kill, so. Right. I don't think it would have mattered anyways. Right. But yeah, I think, that's a, I think that is a benefit to it, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the last big thing I wanted to talk about was um, the the way that the Ghost in the Shell movie is, like, maybe a little too beholden to the original, because there's a lot of big, iconic scenes and set pieces that are reused. And I think that they lose a lot outside of the context of the original movie. Mm-hmm. We actually have quite a few of them, and it's kind of surprising how many of them pop up, I feel. For what they're trying to do. So, like, with the with the iconic scene sort of stuff, we have, like, the the major waking up and, uh, and getting up out of bed and sort of, like, you know, her sitting juxtaposed against the city outside of her window. Right. That seems, like, really interesting in the original because it comes after, like, you literally see her being made and, like this strange like artificial woman like being like created from whole cloth then you just see her in a very like human moment just like somebody like kind of oversleeping a little bit like getting out of bed and opening the window and getting dressed like it's a very like human thing and like rubbing fake sleep out of her eyes too or at least doing that motion as if she were still human right and like i think one thing it also has is like She's a lot- it's like, in the original, it's a lot harder that she's juxtaposed against the city outside her window, right? You know, as if there's this- there's this, um, detachment there. Whereas in the original one, because it's so bright and vibrant, I think it loses a little bit of that. It just ends up looking like someone waking up. Hmm. 
There is a very long, like, it just holds on the window for a very long time in the original. It's just like, man, you you guys really had to get the money's worth out of that one drawing, didn't you? <laughs> but no, I think that there's like a there's more to it in the original, whereas the it's it, it does just feel beholden to it in in the 2017 movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Like it's like, oh well, you know, this is the this is the iconic sort of like, you know, this is an iconic scene. So we have to put this in there, but it like sort of loses that because we get the like building of the major you know way before this and everybody's apartments look like they're like under construction basically they're all have like white rooms with like they've got like the power like lines sort of like just kind of like going up the wall and stuff like thick boxes where they turn the lights on and off it's it's not a great look Mm -hmm. um like, I, I've said it before, but honestly, that's a fan surface. I think directors of adaptations should stop trying to include, like, these iconic scenes, mm-hmm. unless it, like, actively works for the new thing. Just yeah, because, just- like, you're never gonna make fans happy, and you're just gonna be <laughs> And you're not gonna to, make like- me happy. I hate oh, yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. Get out of here. Yeah, I- the, I think a big issue with this is just like they're doing this to bring fans of the original thing in, but I think that it just like alienates them more, kind of. Because mm-hmm. it feels like you're not confident with your own thing, so you're putting yeah. in elements of it. And like you're not doing it as well as the original, and it makes you wonder like why even bother? And it feels like the producers are big fans. Like they, they talk really um, excitedly about the work that they did on this, but it's like they, they flew a little too close, I think, with certainly the number of scenes that they pulled. I mean, that's... That's why... Just... Uh, that's why you shouldn't listen to any fanbase whatsoever. No fans, just make your own damn movie. Give someone, like, the concept and be like, Hey, you're a good writer. Make this shit for me, will ya? You ever heard of Blade Runner? Well, here's a Japanese Blade Runner. <laughs> Do it. Yeah, just just do it. This is you know, instead of a guy maybe or maybe not being a robot, a girl might or might not be a robot. Just just do something with it. Right. <laughs> oh, but be sure at one point they mentioned ghosts and shells and we should be good. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I don't know, maybe if you just do something completely hog wild, then you end up with the Super Mario Brothers movie, which Honestly, Super Mario Brothers movie probably a better Ghost in the Shell movie than the 2017 one. <laughs> and there's also the Speed Racer movie, which is like, what if we set the manic action of Speed Racer in the future? And I think that's what makes it a more fun movie, right? I mean, the Speed Racer movie is also fun in general because, like. Um, it's been a while since I've seen it, so I don't remember if it has, like, very intrusive fan service in it, but it's very much a style over substance movie, and it works for Speed Racer. I mean, at a certain point, I don't know what you can really do. Like, you can't really do direct scenes from Speed Racer, because then that would just be, like, people standing still, and I don't think that's what that movie's about. Are you kidding? That would be amazing. I would actually make a real life like series that just adapts the original Speed Racer one to one because that show is amazing. <laughs> You're right. I forgot about the scene where like the guy falls off the cliff and is just like ah. 
Yeah, or like the sign, <laughs> or like the scene where Razor X is, they are like chased by like a helicopter shooting at them. Razor X goes, I'm gonna try something. And he runs away, and he is dead surprised when Speed Racer gets kidnapped. <laughs> <laughs> and then like, uh, other scenes, like, we have the, the, the creation scene of the Major's body, and then also the, um, the diving scene, which are two scenes that I think in the original, like, have this idea of sort of like when they talk, uh, when the major talks about why she does diving, even though she's at risk of death, you know, if one of par- her parts malfunctions, it's like as she reaches up to the surface, she feels like hope, the idea that she could be, uh, she could emerge as anyone. And this ends up juxtaposing against the creation scene where literally as she rises up out of this liquid, she is reborn as someone new right and they've manufactured her to be identical to bodies that they have made before right so like i think that that in the original has like this this really poignant point to that idea that um matoko brings up and then talks about for like five minutes right and it's a theme that comes back like later in the movie even yeah and like that theme just doesn't exist in the new movie yeah, in the new movie, she's just like, like, Bato's like, why do you dive? And she's like, I don't know, because it scares me. It's like, go see a horror movie. Just, God. <laughs> yeah, they should have met up at the movie theater and then gotten kicked out for talking. <laughs> so, like, that scene in particular is like, it's, it's two scenes that are supposed to, like, juxtapose against each other because of the themes of the first movie. And, like, they put it in the second one. And, like, by putting in the diving I think that that's what muddies that particular part. Like, the creation of the body, still kind of a cool, like, look to it. Mm-hmm. But the, but, you know, when you reuse this, this iconography that's supposed to mean something else in terms of, like, thematic storytelling, it, it, it loses that. And again, it becomes just sort of, like, empty fan service. Yeah. And also the boat scene sucked. Like, let's be it, that's where the worst dialogue in the original movie came from. Uh, yeah, but that's where all the ideas come from. Right. So. I like Bato's boat's design in the new movie. Like it, like there's like trash everywhere, and he's got really shitty um, chairs on it. I think it's, I think it's good. See, I think like uh, once again to lead to an earlier point, should have used more dogs. It should have looked like a fucking like heroin den full of <laughs> dogs just laying around everywhere. Like a dog should have been driving the boat. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like cool Bring dog. Him back. Or it should have been like Spuds McKenzie's there. Because uh. they're like drinking beer and they're talking about how they metabolize beer super fast. Why not have Spuds McKenzie? <laughs> oh shit. That's right. What if the dog drinks? What if oh. What if like the major was put into like a recognizable body so she could blend in, but the body was just Spuds McKenzie? Okay. I was a machine built to be the original party animal. <laughs> okay, so here's the problem I also have with the 2017 Ghost in the Shell movie. Um, so it's been 20 years since the original, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we have made so many technological advances. Yeah. Why does the major not have a fake break? <laughs> <laughs> like, but like one that, that blows like hollow, like, vapes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Invisible vape. She blows a cloud, but it's actually a collection of data. 
<laughs> just some binary floating in the air. God, there's so many, like, just dumb designs in this movie of, like, oh, well, we had to make sure you know it was the future, so here's a holographic crime scene and a holographic interrogation scene and a, <laughs> and a holographic, I don't know. Ugh. And then, like, the, the scene that I feel like changed the most between it, but not, like, for any good reason, is the garbage collectors in the Hong Kong area and the follow-up interrogation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, like, they do this garbage collector thing, and, like, in the original, it's like, oh, well, this one garbage collector's been hacked in his memories to sort of, like, believe that he has this wife and daughter that have separated from him, and he's been tricked by the the puppet master to basically like uh to use data cards to what he thinks is call his wife and like get you know listen in on what she's doing mm-hmm. but is ultimately like hacking into like government um government cyborgs or ro- government robots right mm-hmm. and like it's until the interrogation scene it's basically presented like he's just some poor schlub that um he, he's like missing his wife and his kid and like it's not until the interrogation scene where it's revealed that, oh, no, that none of that's real. Yeah, and we get a, we get a little bit of that, too, with the, the chase against the, uh, the, the guy who's planting all of these cards, who's also been hacked. Mm-hmm. And they kind of combine those two characters in the new movie, and they just make it so that, like, uh, Future Friend pointed this out. They're just, like, eating uh, noodles out of plastic bags. <laughs> oh, man, I love that. I love that. I wanted to have, like, a 30-minute segment on it, but this is already two hours. Right. Look, they were hacked so that they would uh, hack or murder the doctor lady, but also they were hacked to forget what a cup was. Yeah, they were hacked to forget what proper fucking, like, ethical eating is. So they just eat, like, these saucy ass noodles out of fucking plastic bags. What used if it for was dog shit? What if it's data noodles? Oh, cool. And he's just like, oh, my, my daughter's learning how to play the piano and it's ridiculous. And then immediately they get like hacked into like crashing into this car and, you know, like holding up this lady. And then the big chase scene happens, which I feel like the chase again, like because it's, it's, it's reduced in the new movie and it loses a lot of the character we have because we have like, you know the chase, but through uh, the chase through the market with Bato and the the hacker mm-hmm. that we lose. Okay, but like also like why are his memories like rearranged in the new movie? Like there's no reason for that. Like in the original movie, it's sort of like to give him almost like an alibi of sorts, or right, like and, and to justify these this card thing that he's doing, like. They're not doing that in the new movie. They're just hacked for, like, no reason. Right. And, like, in the... Like, that's... Like, I just really like that in the original movie, where it's, like... Like, he has no signs of, like, being hacked until the interrogation scene. Whereas in the Mm -hmm. new movie, like, it's very clear that he is being hacked because, like, he is suddenly just attacking this car for no reason. (laughs) And, like, putting on this stealth suit and just taking out a knife to fight the major in a fight scene almost identical to the one in the anime, but way worse. Yeah. Well, that's also the thing, because, like, animated fight scenes just don't work in the same way real fight scenes do. Right, and also you can't fuck up his arm nearly as much as they yeah, do in the original. Even if they tried to, like, make the movement more realistic. Yeah, like, they just, just 
fucking breaks that dude's wrist. Right, and she's yeah. invisible at the time, so it just looks super... Ah, oh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's super visceral. And, like, um, then, then we have the interrogation scene where it's like, this is where we learn that... In the original, we learn that people can be hacked and their memories can be altered. Mm-hmm. And I guess we sort of learn that in this one, because that's what's happening to the major. Okay, let me... Can I just explain this interrogation room and... So in the original, it looks like an interrogation room. There's a window that they can't see through, and there's a table and a person talking to them. In the new one, they're basically, they've got a noose around their neck, they're like in a straight jacket, and it turns out they're in a giant cube um, that they can't see through, but you don't walk into the cube to talk to them. You send a hologram of yourself inside the cube to, like, I don't know if it's mimicking what you're doing because the major is just, like, walking around in there, which is, like, a weird thing. Like, it's so bizarre. And then the worst part about it, the guy hangs himself on it. It's like, they designed this big system, but they can't even design it so that a person can't kill themselves with it (laughs) i I was gonna bring it up because that is literally the most useless scene in the movie because like he hangs himself because he can't get back to his kid and he can't be convinced that this is all fake memories where in the original it's like oh my god all of my memories are a lie how can i fix them and it's like oh sorry we can't but he's like so hellbent on this idea that he had a daughter even though he's again shown this picture of what he thinks is like his family but it's just a picture of him yeah and they don't, again, they don't bring this up in the new movie. They don't have him show the picture to the guy working with him. But, um, like, then he just hangs himself and no one reacts to it. Like, everyone kind of looks back at him and then just moves on. Like, there's no reason he should have hung himself. Like, ultimately, like, it doesn't do anything for the movie and no one, like, cares. It's just such a worthless... I like how fast he did it, too. I think uh, we should give him a spot in HDQ. <laughs> He just speed ran through life, man. <laughs> he also drove that truck pretty fast into the lady. You know that James Dean quote, like, uh, live fast, die young, and leave a good-looking corpse? That's actually about speed running. <laughs> <laughs> and then the biggest, like, piece of fan service, I think, is the tank fight. The spider right. tank fight. Yeah. Which, like, you get the idea that it's, like, insurmountable odds in both of them, but, like, original Makoto is way cooler under pressure and like really thinking this through where it feels like um the new one is like a lot more of a desperate fight which kind of works in different ways but i think just like really muddies the climax of this movie also the big bad guy's the one like controlling the tank from i don't know somewhere but he's just got like he's got like one like hand doing it it's kind of like weird that he's like Man, this is a really simple to control tank. Um, I think the biggest problem with like the fan service final fight with Spider Tank is that it's also like in a much less cool set piece. Mm-hmm. Like as cliche as like, oh, this final fight is in a church is nowadays. It at least gives you something like visually nice to look at. Whereas here, it's like. A mud pit with a burned down building. Right. Yeah, it looks like it looks like it was like it used to be a park kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like the church is neat because it's got like the the family tree on it that I guess is supposed to to go along with like the creators or something. Like there's just a lot of visual interesting things in the details for that. 
Right. And also, like, whenever she rips off the, the, the hatch in the original, it kind of, like, it feels like she's doing something. And the new one, it's just like, wait, what did ripping off that hatch do? There's nobody in there. Yeah, and, like, it's not, it, it doesn't seem like they're trying to access the terminal to hack into it like they are in the original. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, like, in the original, like, Bato comes in to, like, help her out, and I think that, like, that gives Bato something to do. Like, well, like, in the new movie, he doesn't even, like, show up to, like, the very end, like, after it's all over. Like, oh, well, hi, how are you, how you doing? Right, like, Bato helps her, like, hack into the, to the Puppet Master AI, and, you know, like, shields her from the, the snipers that are trying to take them down to kind of, like, cover the evidence of this, like, rogue AI that they had. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so, like, uh, as we talked about, like, the, the visceral nature of, um, Makoto having her arms ripped off is something that's missing in the, uh, the new one. Though the new one still has, like, the veins pulsing and sort of like these gross robotic movements. I feel like the, the, the finale of that scene just doesn't quite, uh, it doesn't feel the same of sort of like this ultimate struggle mm-hmm. kind of thing. This like last ditch solution. Um, yeah. It's like whenever she tries to rip it off, she starts to like bulk up. I was like, wait, is this Scarlett Johansson or Mark Ruffalo turning into the Hulk? <laughs> wow. And so, like, there are other, like, minor scenes throughout this, like the, like, the, the person with the spider fingers doing the typing. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That, like, it's just, it's, it's super nonchalant in the new movie, which sucks, because I think the, the, the idea of the guy having his hands out and then just spreading into these, like, 40 fingers is, like, way cooler. Right. I, I, I don't know. I kind of like the idea of it being a lot more nonchalant about it, like. This I just, is no, just I mean, just like life. the scene of it, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I just mean, even like in shooting it, you can kind of like give a whole like detached, this is just everyday normal life for us, like mm-hmm. feeling. Hey, this is just life, man. <laughs> Keyboard warrior over here. So we somehow didn't get to this before. But um, I think the ultimate piece of fan service that this movie does is... The Bono they, song. They, yes. No, they um, they set up like, oh, this is Miracillion. It's a different character from Motoko. But the ending twist is like, oh, you know, her original brain is that of Motoko Kusanagi, this 16-year-old who was captured by this evil corporation and put into a body as like an experiment. And so when people were talking about this twist... It felt like when people were talking about it that it was like a slapdash thing to sort of like kind of try to fan the flames of controversy when it came out. But it's like mm-hmm. super integrated into the movie. Right. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. It wasn't slapdash. It was just fucking stupid. <laughs> right. Like, it's not good. And like, when I first watched it, I'm like, oh, that's not as bad as everyone thought. And that was kind of the end of it. But like, maybe it's actually a lot worse that they were like, oh, don't worry. This isn't the major, but it's still a Japanese person in a white person body. <laughs> yeah, like, like that's maybe that's worse, actually. <sighs> like you'll be able to probably talk better about it because, yeah, I'm just kind of European white dude. But to me, like that feels a lot worse than just kind of making the character like a Westerner because then it's just way more reminiscent of like actual 
like whitewashing, era, like black or yellow face things. Right. Right. Like Scarlett Johansson comes out in a kimono. Like, no, you don't understand. I feel Japanese. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's a transracial thing. Right. Oh no, it's, boy. So like it's. <sighs> It's weird because, like, yeah, first I thought, oh, this isn't as bad as people talked about. Like, it's really, it's clearly integrated into the movie. Like, this is part of the identity of the character. And then I thought, yeah, like, wait, this is actually a lot worse because it feels like this is, I think, supposed to be, like, the final, like, big fan service moment, right? Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be, oh, well, this is Motoko Kusanagi. This is the character that you want. It's, like, tying it back in one last time to the original But yeah, Yeah. it totally just comes off as like, oh, well, yeah, it's a Japanese character, but uh, we cast a white person. Right. And technically that happens twice in the movie because Kuze is also Japanese. Right. Oh, you're right. It's nuts. Okay. So here's the thing for me also, like you guys can tell me if I'm being an idiot here. I think the whole concept of like... I think you could actually do something with that concept, like make a movie about like culture suck per se, and like mm-hmm. how we perceive like people different racially. But it never really comes up. It never really does that. So it just right. It's yeah, just like, like it. It's integrated into the plot, but because it's like until the end of the movie, she doesn't have any memories. It doesn't like play a significant role in the way that it tells a story, which it totally could. There is. Yeah. There is a narrative in there that's at least interesting. Right. Yeah. There's like. I legit think you could do a really interesting, like, story well, about, like, the idea of, like, how racially we are treated differently and such. Mm-hmm. Or, like, even, like, something, like, about, like, a gender study or something like that. Or, like, really, like, you can do a lot of things with, like, I don't feel right in this body, but this movie never really does any of them. Mm-hmm. Right, like, there's totally this dysphoria angle to this character, right? They don't feel comfortable, but, like, that never comes really to a head besides, oh, well, it's because this isn't my body, and I'm not white. And, like, there's totally a version of this story where it's not, like, a big government conspiracy at the end to, like, kidnap runaways. Mm -hmm. Where it's, like, she knows the whole time that she came from this Asian body and, through an accident or whatever, was forced into this cyborg body in order to save her, right? And then maybe like the corporations are the racist ones because they only make white bodies. (laughs) And like there it explores sort of, yeah, the way that a character is treated differently because they're in this different race. And it doesn't have to be like super racist. Isn't that kind of a weird thing that they literally have like these, like they've got like these people to base the bodies off of and like they're only making this one. Can't they just base it off of the person that they're, Right, because they're it's not they're not making it based off anyone they like anyone that comes up, and they're not basing it off like they're just making these default bodies. And it's like, oh, we couldn't just make an Asian one. <laughs> but yeah, there's a, there's a narrative there that could be told that like, if nothing else, could be interesting. But I th- it just bungles that oh, super hard by mm-hmm. not by not yeah. having any chance to really like discuss that. It's just oh, we got we got our body soul, you know that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, just in general, I think, like, kind of like the movie being sold on Scarlett Johansson and it kind of being, like, white cast in general also kind of shows a bigger problem with Hollywood and that it just doesn't really have a lot of, like, people of color who have the same kind of star power. Right. 
Like, yeah. especially not with, like, the star power. Like, I was trying to think of, like, if there were any, like, Asian or Japanese actresses that I could think of that have been in, like, any big Hollywood movies. And the only one I could uh, really think of was, like, Pacific Rim. Uh, there's Lucy Liu. Oh. She might be a bit too old for this role, though. Sure. I'm, but, like, yeah, you, <laughs> you could count the number of, like, prominent Asian actresses in Hollywood on, like, a, a hand. Mm-hmm. To be honest, yeah. And, like... That's the thing. Also, there's like plenty of actresses who could break out, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. they're not going to do it because it's this whole cyclical thing of like movies like this. You need the star power. Right. And like, it's really shitty to even worse in this idea of there could be a thematic story here. Scarlett Johansson at the end says a line that's like, we, we cling to memories as if they define us, but what we do defines us. And so basically that says, Sure, all of my memories are of being an Asian person, but it's about what I do now as a white person that <laughs> defines me. Like, <sighs> well, don't worry, she already ticks like a white person. <laughs> wow! Look, if you think about it, we're all white on the inside. You could totally do something with this, and they just constantly fuck it up and backpedal on this idea. It's like, whoops. Yep. So yeah, it's just like it's. <sighs> It's such a mess. Like, I know that you're kind of down on the original movie, Future Friend, but, like, it's a way more, like, coherent, thematic story than the new one. Like, the new one is such a mess. I agree with you, but I still think the new one was a lot more of a fun watch for me than the original. I think just because a lot more things happen. Right. Yeah. Probably. There's a lot of things you can... You can look at the screen and say, ah, that's bullshit a lot more. (laughs) Like those dogs. How, where are their cyber enhancements? Whereas, like, the original Ghost in the Shell, I think, hits a lot more of my movie pet peeves, like, quasi-philosophical bad dialogue and such. Yeah, and I think it, it would be very different watching it in the context of when it came out, I think. Yeah. Like, there would totally be a point where it's like, oh, well a lot of these things hadn't been done yet. So looking back on it, it's like, well, I can see, well, first of all, that it's very influenced by other movies, right? Mm-hmm. It's, I wouldn't even necessarily argue it hasn't been done before, because I, I've read Asimov, motherfucker. Right, sure. <laughs> okay, but it never before. been done with that many boobs in it. <laughs> <laughs> it. Like, I feel like at that point, animation hadn't had that sort of breakthrough. Right. And Ghost in the Shell really paved that way. And also, this is, like, a a big mainstream movie, and, like, well, I guess, like, Blade Runner kind of did similar things, but... But, but Blade Runner was also not a mainstream movie. Okay. So, you know, it's it's a little different. But yeah, so, like, yeah, ultimately, it's just, like, man, a lot of bungled ideas and just trying to stick too close to the original, It's it's just kind of a... It's just a real mess, and it didn't have to be that way. Hmm. It flew too close, like, to the sun, like this podcast in its three-hour lengths. <laughs> oh, hey, hey, hey. Uh, before we go, there are a couple, like, bigger opinions and kind of thoughts about the series that- Bigger than our own. Right. Somehow, these questions are also going to take two hours for us to read. 
But no, there's there's there have been some thoughts and opinions that uh, the the fans have written in with that I wanted to just go over a bit and we can kind of talk about them. And the first one comes from Psycho Babble, and it reads. Um, Ghost in the Shell was one of the, the first anime movies I watched with the full consciousness that it was anime, way back in 97 or 98. It was on HBO, and we picked the night to watch together with friends, before HBO was exclusive. Same night, we watched Akira on tape, and some tapes of random Cowboy Bebop episodes. Okay. Sounds like a hell of a night. This sounds like a rockin' night. <laughs> I, I disagree. I think these people should have watched The Wire. I clearly remember some of my friends falling asleep. <laughs> And I remember liking it, but I really don't think I fully understood what it was about, because the ending left me feeling, that's it? A rewatch helped me appreciate it more, but it's still a movie that's stronger in visuals than in storytelling to me. And I think through this podcast, we've definitely said the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, rest easy. As a 12-year-old, you were right. <laughs> and as a however old you are now. Don't worry, you were right about everything. All of your taste? Awesome. We should have listened to you all along. (laughs) Everything you loved at 12? Probably still good. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But uh, Future Friend's the one who would fall asleep at this this watching. Oh, I I spent two days just finishing it. Yeah, you took like two days to watch this fucking movie. (laughs) I was very busy. (laughs) I mean, I watched other shows throughout. But yeah, it's 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 one it's one that like I think still holds up as a piece of animation, and that's like its biggest claim to fame. Even going back to it now, is just how well the it's it's animated and like kind of seamless in its blending of two D and like light three D elements. I think the only thing that can feel a bit dated about its animation is that uh, its color range. Doesn't feel quite as modern. Yeah, it's definitely like it's it's a lot more kind of drab, sort of um, l- washed out kind of colors. Yeah, it's definitely kind of what you got from nineties animation in general. Yeah, totally. But I think it's a style that I can appreciate. Yeah, me yeah. too. Uh, here we have one from friend of the show QB, which says, uh, "When watching Conan O'Brien dub over Ghost in the Shell, I realized that only a small percent of anime ever really go mainstream." And Hollywood will only take notice of a series in very rare cases if it's in the right place at the right time, or if it's just the director's favorite anime like uh, James Cameron with Battle Angel Alita. What do you think it was about Ghost in the Shell that helped to get noticed by the right people and become mainstream enough for a Hollywood production? Um, mostly, I think, the fact that it influenced a ton of, like, award-winning directors, like the Wachowskis and such. Right, like, we talked about a little before, like, the Wachowskis very, um, very inspired by Ghost in the Shell, and James Cameron has come out as, like, a fan of the movie. I mean, Steven Spielberg. Right, like we said, DreamWorks got the movie over, like, Sony and Universal because Spielberg was like, this is one of my favorite movies, you know, my favorite stories of all time. Right, aside from mm-hmm. Shrek. Well, I mean, duh. But yeah, so, like, I think that helps it a lot is, like, it definitely has to be big enough for that wider appeal. Though Battle Angel Elite is, like, a weird choice. Like, that seems like it only got through because James Cameron is the guy with all the money, right? Right. Yeah, I think James Cameron just really loves Battle Angel Alita. Right, like, Battle Angel Alita, not, like, I don't know a ton about it, but it's not, like, bad or anything. It's just, like... It's very, it's a very like obscure choice in comparison to some of the other Hollywood stuff we've seen, like um, like Speed Racer or Ghost in the Shell. You right. know, yeah, but like 
uh, all you need is skill, like, got adapted into Edge of Tomorrow, and, like, I never even heard of it before that. Right, but I think that was more of, like, the premise alone was kind of what sold that to a lot of directors. Right, because uh, they're oh, not... Because yeah. one thing is they're not selling it as an adaptation for Edge of Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It's not even an adaptation of itself. It's Now it's, like, Live, Die, Repeat or something, which I yeah, thought was they're the making tagline. A sequel? Well, it was the tagline, then they made it the title, so it's okay. (laughs) Yeah. I guess it's a more, like, recognizable name than Edge of Tomorrow, which could mean literally anything. Sure. Um, so I do think, however, like, one thing you have to keep in mind with Hollywood is that an elevator uh, pitch is, like, often way more successful if you say, this is an adaptation of a property that has proven itself successful. Mm. Right. Like, especially nowadays. Mm-hmm. And, like, what, what I'm trying to think of some of the other ones that are, like, like, Death Note, huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, Death Note is pretty It totally cool. makes sense that Death Note gets that, because also, it is a story that could totally be supplanted in other places with the right writing, which it didn't do, but, mm-hmm. you know, it... It has that. It has that opportunity to it. Dragon Ball, uh, totally successful in everything that it did. Well, no wonder Dragon Ball got one because it's such a huge. I think it's such a huge property that there's like no way you don't know about it in <laughs> some ways. I mean, here's the weird thing about that Dragon Ball movie, though. It's also the original Dragon Ball. It's a Dragon Ball movie and not a Dragon Ball Z movie. Yeah, not a Dragon Ball Z movie. Like, that's the thing everyone outside knows. Like, it took me, like, until age 15 to figure out, oh, wait, there was a thing before Dragon Ball Z? Yeah, I guess that is a thing. Is like, it's based off the original, I guess, because they would have, like, they could they could change it. And boy, did they change it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like, also, like, then you don't have to explain, like, well, it's like an origin story, I guess. Yeah, so you don't have to explain a lot. Well, except for Piccolo, I guess. But, but yeah, like, it's an origin story, and they've changed it to, you know, try to fit in with more modern audiences, but it didn't work, you know? Yeah. You have, well, okay, so, like, Old Boy's only popular because it became a movie. That's not really based on the manga, so, right. you know. And, and that's Korean, anyway. Yeah. Well, the manga is not. The I movie mean, the, the movie is Korean. Yeah. That's not a Hollywood thing. Right. Well, new Old Boy. Oh, right, I forgot about New Old Boy. I mean, White Old Boy. (laughs) New Old Boy was... uh, Boy. You have Astro Boy, which is totally like a nostalgia pick. Kind of like I think Speed Racer was. Right. It's like, Mm -hmm. here's this old thing that we can really modernize and try to, you know, like... In Astro Boy's case, like, really sell it to the kids so that a new generation can appreciate Astro Boy. That didn't work, but you know. I mean, they, they got the perfect cast. They had Nicolas Cage... And that's all I can remember. You're right. <laughs> Nicholas Cage is Astro Boy. <laughs> That'd be really cool. You mean I have bullets in my butt? <laughs> and then I, I don't know how to explain the, the 90s anime movies. Like, I don't know how to explain how they got the Giver or how they got Fist of the North Star. I mean, Fist of the North Star, I can kind of get the Giver. I don't, I don't fucking know. They made two of those. Yeah, okay, so I watched the second guy for movie, and besides the <laughs> fact that it's, like, funny to see David Hayter try to act because he fucking can't, it's a really boring movie. So, like, Fist of the North Star, I guess because, uh, just martial arts movies are popular? That is true. The, the three ninjas had just struck back. It was great. 
But like, I don't think Fist of the North Star was a huge name and still sort of isn't. I think it's like a lot of cultural osmosis more than it is like genuine. Um, I don't know. I think Fist of the North Star was like pretty popular back in the like days we still call it Japanimation. Mm. Maybe. I guess that might have been one of the early, like, imports. Mm-hmm. Like, the Fist of North Star movie, like, had high enough of a budget they could get fucking Malcolm McDowell. I mean, it didn't wow. have a high enough budget to get a theatrical release in America. That's uh. true. And then, yeah, I just don't know about how the Giver got there, because it's, like, it's kind of, you know, common writer-esque in that it's, like, about people in big suits fighting aliens kind of thing. But also very wet. Yeah, but just, like, kind of gross, and I, so I don't know why that gets picked over anything else. Well, so, yeah. Isn't the director, like, doesn't he have, like, a, one of those weird nicknames, like he's the Axe Man or something like that? I should probably look that up. <laughs> oh, like, uh, Screamin', fuck, what is it? Um, His nickname is the Poon Tank Man. <laughs> Screamin' Mad George, that's the one. <laughs> right. Scott cool. guy's just nuts. Yeah. <laughs> See, I think Ghost in the Shell just has you know, the popularity to go with it, and a lot of big names behind it. That's that's the thing that gets it over anything else, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have another question from The Toughest Bean, and this uh, comes in. Uh, it seemed to me that the biggest conceptual flaw of Ghost in the Shell 2017 was trying to give the Major a backstory, when most of what we need to know about the Major is that she is a cool robot lady. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And yeah, mm-hmm. I think t- totally the character story of that is the part that, like, falls apart, I think, the easiest under scrutiny. Yeah. Especially when the character story is, no, 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 she's an Asian person, trust me. <laughs> well, even besides that, like, the Major's personality in a new movie just reminds me too much of myself, but without <laughs> any confidence, and I'm like, I, I, I don't want to do that. I, I don't want... It's too relatable. It's cyberpunk. It's too okay, relatable. Okay, but what if she did cyber let's plays? <laughs> Instead of the diving scene, give her a cyber let's play, and Bato's like, can I co-commentate for this one? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's my big problem with, like, between me and the character of Makoto and how much we are alike mm-hmm. in the 2017 movie. So, like Makoto... I have no confidence, right? Mm-hmm. I stammer right. easily. Right. And the second thing, we are both never nudes. <laughs> right? Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then, follow up, also, would you let a nebulous corporation make you a robot? Um, no, because I pine for death. I am <laughs> scared to death of surgery. Wait, would they make me a robot, or is it like, make me a sandwich? Like, they, I just have, like, a robot <laughs> butler now. No, they would put your, they would put your, uh, ghost into a shell. Oh, okay. Uh, then yeah, that no. sounds lame. Unless, like, I could be, like, a hunky robot that, like, <laughs> all the ladies would be down with. Right. That would be cool. Or they put me into Scarlett Johansson's body. <laughs> no, 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 that would give me an intense amount of dysphoria. Um. <laughs> because you're like, where are my nipples? <laughs> But I want to be like a hunky robot that all the ladies love, but I still have this voice, and I still am in an anime podcast once in a while. Well, I mean, that gives you uh, character, I think. Yeah, it gives me floss. I mean, there's that tweet going around about how that guy sent that uh, that hot lady his Gundam, and then that, now they're getting married, so, hey. Okay, I think that's fake. I, I think that's fake news, as the president would say. <laughs> oh my god. 
I mean, that's literally a plot from one of the Gundam shows, so. These Twitter users are trying to make it seem <laughs> like Gundam is sexy. Gundam is not sexy. I like, it's a very deep war drama. <laughs> I like to titty robots. If you don't like G Gundam, then you're just wrong. I'm sorry. You're just stupid. Hey, no, no, he's supposed to have bad opinions. No, he's supposed no. to have bad opinions. Yeah, that's actually... <laughs> wow, Trump's making some good points all of a sudden. <laughs> no! Oh, you no. know what? I'm gonna vote for him. I'm gonna oh, vote for no. him. If you go like to Popeye's and you get mild like chicken, you're just him. not a real American. Wow! You know, I... You know, 2020 <laughs> is looking like a good year for Trump. His takes are hot, but they're so real. <laughs> oh, God. And then our final mail is uh, from Zach. As someone who has seen both the original and the new movie, my father and I greatly enjoyed both movies for different reasons, which I'll explain below. Um, in the original, the stunning backdrops and the incredible action scenes bring its world alive, despite a rather front-loaded script that's a little heavy to parse for first-time viewers. It wasn't until our third watching that we really started to get the story, and that also hooked us into watching the standalone Complex series. Uh, the debate of transhumanism and the nature of the soul was fascinating, and while the dialogue is sometimes difficult to penetrate, it sets the world and its cast very well. In the new movie, the choice the cast we actually really loved, and I admit I was rather turned off by, ba by Bato until he got his new eyes, and then it all clicked together. Which I think is kind of weird, like... I feel like Bato's way more off-putting when he's got his tiny eyes. Yeah. Though again, I, I don't dislike the Bato, like, casting. I, I kind of like... I, I think that in a better movie, he would have been a serviceable Bato. I think, <laughs> sure. like, Bato kind of, like, bothers me in it, just because, like, I keep thinking, like, man, this should have just been Ron Perlman. It really should have. <laughs> that would have been... Now that would have been a pro cast. See... Drop Scarlett Johansson. You know the actor you want to put on the the poster? Ron Perlman is Bato. Oh, yeah. Okay, but also he's the major. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't feel comfortable in my body. That's weird because I feel comfortable in it. Also, they're having <laughs> sex in that scene. Eddie doesn't have to strip for like any of his powers back to faith, but he just wants to hang down, man. Right, of course. Okay. Also, that's one thing that I want to mention is that I like Bato and the Major's completely platonic relationship. I think that that's nice. Yes. Right. That's nice. Yeah. I, Instead, they have I to like give romance that. to this other dude who's a who's a terrorist hacker. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, going back to the fan, uh, Scarlett Johansson does a pretty good job as the Major. The city backdrops look wonderfully Blade Runner esque, and the soundtrack feels like a delightful homage to the original. I'm glad this guy wasn't on our podcast. Sorry. I hope he doesn't listen. <laughs> the story was dumbed down, but we actually understood it better, since it was constructed for a more Western audience to parse, and now we understand the Ghost in the Shell universe a lot better. Um, my father and I both agree that the whitewashing uh, furore is rather over-exaggerated, and the incredible reveal later on in the film of Major's brain and the entire identity being an Asian anarchist getting transfused in a Caucasian body felt like a middle finger to the entire uh, whitewashing controversy in and of itself. I don't know how other people took that, but personally, I thought it was a way for the director to uh, say that she was Asian in spirit, but because the studio wouldn't let us uh, cast an Asian person, we added the scene to flip them off. Ooh, Asian in spirit is not... <laughs> That's a really generous reading of that, I feel. 
I feel <laughs> this is something I'm gonna leave to you, Chirps. <laughs> That's a really genuine, generous way to read that, because I'm pretty sure everyone has to be on board with a decision like the director, you know? But, you know, he later says he doesn't know the intentions, but regardless, from two long-time fans of the series, we, both, we love both movies for different reasons. It's cool that you watch anime with your dad. That's nice. <laughs> That's the coolest part of this, honestly. You should watch Ninja Scroll with your dad. Right. Watch Ninja Scroll with anyone. Ever. I'd listen to you and your dad's anime podcast, but also yeah. don't make one on Ninja Scroll. Right. <laughs> Actually, do make one on Ninja Scroll. But also, like... don't make one because you're in our turf, kid. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Make one on Ninja Scroll. The uh, like podcast is called uh, My Otaku Dad and I, and like a Ninja Scroll. You talk every segment, you talk about like what aspects like on the bonero meter it has. <laughs> so like I need you to tell how erotic you fucked Ninja Scroll. God, this man is never gonna listen to our podcast again. Okay, but live action Hollywood Ninja Scroll movie. Who plays the ninja? <laughs> Nicholas Cage. Oh yeah, that's what I was okay. thinking too. But yeah, like it's not that I don't see this reading. Like I I guess I get it. But, like, that's, uh, it's so infused to the movie that there's no way that anyone was going, like, oh, well, this is a middle finger to that. Like, writing and then casting is sort of, I feel like that's the way it goes, right? By the time they started filming, they had the script passed through, like, 10 or 15 different people, you know? Like, there will be some, like, rewrites that can happen, but for the most part, like, actors are on a tight schedule, so it's like- Yeah, I don't think this movie went through all that many, like, reshoots or anything. Yeah. It's totally a whitewashing thing is the issue. Like, they're they're explicitly saying this is an Asian character in a white body, which is like, we talked about it, maybe worse, that it's like a really intentional part of the movie. Mm Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I definitely don't agree with that interpretation, where it's like, yeah, that's... <sighs> See, uh, I don't agree with the interpretation or any of the casting, except if they cast me as Major Motoko. That would have been cool, because I get to be in a big movie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not asking for a lot. I'll just be Togusa. Listen, you've cast Pete Takeshi, but here's my thing. I want to become Beat Takeshi. Cast me as Beat Takeshi in the movie. Yeah. (laughs) I'm gonna have reconstructive surgery to look like Beat Takeshi just for this movie. But future friend, you know, to become Beat Takeshi, you have to defeat him. (laughs) You have to kill him. (laughs) I have to become more racist than Beat Takeshi. I don't know if I can do that. You have to make it through Takeshi's castle. Oh, and boy. and then at the end to play Takeshi's challenge, right? <laughs> Takeshi's challenge is just the witch slurs against Koreans. Can you say more? Well, you have to say it into the Famicom's microphone on the second controller. Oh man, this does sound cool. That does sound cool. But yeah, so it's like I just cannot read it this way at all. It's not that feels like it's. <laughs> That's that's like the conspiracy that would be in the Ghost in the Shell movie is like <laughs> instead of it just being a conspiracy, but it's like oh well, I did this as a middle finger to all the people like yeah just uh, like that's a couple layers deeper than I'm willing to go with. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, that's all of the the fan mail we got. And, you know, I'm glad we got to talk about this, honestly. Like, right. For three hours. Yeah. No, I, I love it. But, you know, I, I, I enjoy talking about this. I enjoy going in depth about this sort of thing because I feel like, you know, between this and like the, the Death Note movie, which came out the same year, you know, it's two very different sides of the coin. Hey, I'll say it. Death Note movie was better. And I think a part of that is something we've discussed a lot. The Death Note movie doesn't feel so beholden, I guess, to like the scene, you know, in, in fan service, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's such a distinctly different story. Like the characters may be the same, you know, on, you know, on the surface base. And they're actually, <laughs> I guess they're really not either. It's like a completely different thing, actually. Yeah, it, there's a, a note that if you write somebody's name in it, then they die. And Willem Dafoe's there in both of them. And so, like, it's not a, it's not a particularly good movie, right? <laughs> but it's, it's distance itself enough that I think it, it at least has its own identity, where Ghost in the Shell really struggles to escape the shadow of it, you know, its original, which maybe makes the, the reviews about it harsher is that it's, you know, they're, they're constantly comparing it to the original because it keeps, bringing up imagery of the original right. it makes you think it's about like the original a ghost of the original oh my god and it's stuck. actually this movie's a genius in a and shell it's a feeling like a shell of its <laughs> oh, former oh, self oh that one's way better <laughs> yeah. yeah i'll cut i'll cut around it don't worry <laughs> i'll make it so you said it too jay so it's oh, even okay. <laughs> and like maybe Netflix Death Note is going to do even better because it doesn't have to have a theatrical release. Like, they don't have to do a ton of advertising and putting it out places. Like, it's just on Netflix, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Netflix is kind of like... Netflix has been losing a lot of money because they've been spending millions on, like, shit that they Yeah, but they have the money to lose. (laughs) So what I'm saying is Death Note 2 win. Damn. Apparently, Adam Wingard pitched it as a two or three movie series. I'm ready. Right. (laughs) Finally. The third one, he writes down the name Adolf Hitler. Oh, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. If you think about it. <laughs> okay, here's my pitch for a scene in Death Note 2. Uh, Light's uh-huh. like, just like thinking. Then he just like writes down Elvis Presley. And like he turns to uh, Willem Dafoe. He's like, just in case. <laughs> okay, what if like the second Death Note movie started with him turning on the TV? Uh-huh. And he goes on Comedy Central, and he sees Jeff Dunham, and he writes in his death note, Jeff Dunham, eaten by his own puppets. <laughs> what if <laughs> okay, he no. writes in the puppet instead? <laughs> oh. What if he writes it down, uh, racist puppet explodes? <laughs> <laughs> well, which, well, that would oh be too many God. puppets, you have to write a specific person. Right. <laughs> okay, now I just want a death note that's all about, like, injuring, <laughs> like, hack comedians. <laughs> Dane Cook trips and stumbles, but doesn't die. <laughs> but everyone makes fun of him and throws yogurt at him. Larry the Cable Guy gets uh, food poisoning. <laughs> oh, no, he's the health inspector in that movie. He knows better. Oh, okay. Uh, Larry the Cable Guy can't get it done. It's okay, like, there we go. It's just like, what am I supposed to do with this? How am I supposed to kill him? <laughs> Carlos Messia shots in, like, joke-stealing accident gone wrong. 
Uh, that who's the comedian that keeps lying about his age? Oh, uh, <laughs> Dan Nainan. Yeah, Dan Nainan dies. Dan Nainan dies of rapid growth, like rapid aging. Dan yeah. Nainan ages backwards. <laughs> oh my god! But uh, Light also prefaces uh, Dan Nainan, funniest uh, Asian comedian, <laughs> <laughs> dies of aging backwards. <laughs> Yeah, so here's a pro tip for you before we uh, get off with the podcast. Search for President Obama comments on Dan Nainan's comedy. It's <laughs> it's amazing. I love it. Five seconds of your life. It's going to be some amazing five seconds. A better movie than Ghost in the Shell 2017. Agreed. And hey, maybe than better than the original, too. <laughs> it really tells us more about our society. And if you think about it, the fact that Ghost in the Shell 2017 can't find its own identity. It's very reminiscent of its own <laughs> themes. Oh my god. <laughs> and Dane Naden unable to find his own age. Well, yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, but okay, so uh, <laughs> anything else you guys want to say before we go? I feel like I've been trying to end this podcast for like 10 minutes now. All I'm saying is that uh, Ghost in the Shell 2017 buys its sushi, sushi at 7-Eleven. Listen, I'm just glad all the funny stuff is at the end when nobody is listening anymore. Thank God. So I've had um, a tab open to remember the Ghost in the Shell character names, and it's top ten badass Ghost in the Shell characters. <laughs> okay, number one. Tell me. Oh, shit. I accidentally closed is it? it. God damn it. I bet it's the Major. It's probably the Major. Yeah, the major is all top ten of them, and also the smoking hot ghost in the shell. And Bato's dogs. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh, and it's on a site called Honey's Anime. <laughs> so, um, now that we've reached the end of the show, uh, where can people find you on the internet? Um, you can find me on the internet at Twitter at FutureFriendLP. I also do Let's Plays on uh, Future Friend LP, even though I have been on a eons long hiatus. Uh, most of those are with Chirps, because he and I are lovers. Yes, that's right. I am saying it here for the first time. He and I are lovers, and we're gonna uh, die in a murder suicide eventually. I don't know which one of us is the killer. Uh, we'll find out in like 10 years. It was actually me, I'm the killer. Jeez, Jay. <laughs> Spoiler, I'm sorry. I know people wanted to binge it when it was all out. <laughs> Hi, I'm the Jay of Spade. We all have fun here, but I make LPs too. So you can go to <laughs> the Jay of Spade LP. Don't go to the Jay of Spade on YouTube because that's my old channel. And I guess you could go there, but th there's not going to be anything. And I'm starting a Donkey Kong Country Returns LP soon with these two chuckleheads. Oh, yeah, and we're chuckleheads for sure. We're like uh, the circus. Right. We're like a couple of apes. Well, three apes. <laughs> oh, my apes. God. There are three way of better. us. That's way better. Yeah, we're like a couple of apes snacking on some bananas and like tossing the ball around. <laughs> right. Because yeah. there's Donkey Kong there. Um, yeah, we're going to be chipping out. Right. And as always, you can find me on Twitter at Chorpsway, C H O R P S A W A Y. You can find me on YouTube by searching Chorps Away as well. Um, and the podcast, as always, is accessible on Twitter at Coco underscore Disaster. It's available at CocoDisaster.com, 
where you'll be able to see all of our previous episodes. You'll be able to access all of the uh, direct downloads from there. And we also have links to the uh, side blog that uh, me and friend of the show, QB, run, where we occasionally write about our thoughts about anime that don't go in the podcast, which is at uh, Vanilla Blessing on Tumblr. That's vanilla-blessing.tumblr.com. And thanks for listening, guys. It, you know, like I always think, it's not going to go that long, and then it goes that long. But I had a lot of fun discussing this with you two. Right. And you two chuckleheads. For God's sake, somebody put that ghost back in the shell. <laughs> and you can join us next time when we uh, come back to discuss the fresh new anime of a new year. That's right. It's the preview episode for the winter season of 2018. So join us then for our seasonal coverage. But until then, I've been Chorpsaway. And I've been Future Friends. And I'm the Jay of Spade. And this has been Coco Disaster. Sweet dreams. <laughs>